And welcome to Gleaming the Geek on to the ALDS edition. Uncharted territory. Uncharted territory for Gleaming of the Geek, because Gleaming of the Geek has never been around while the twins have actually won a postseason game. Now, in fairness, we've only <laughs> been doing uh, episodes for 12 years. <laughs> twins Daily. We're never a, been around while the twins are in the postseason We're a game. brand new show of only 12 years. <laughs> I've never been on the power trip while the twins have won a postseason game before. Yeah. There was a, there's a lot of streaks, a lot of things that have been around for a long time that would never experience a twins postseason win before, let alone a twins postseason advantage in the playoffs yeah it's funny how how long something takes and then how quick it changes when it does change <laughs> right. and i think how many times do you think we had actually talked the last time before that had happened like you and i had actually had a face-to-face conversation since uh, since the twins who had last one a postseason game i think it was just the once wait what are you saying i'm, I'm saying you and i met in 2002 oh. right but I don't think we had yeah, another we face-to-face really, conversation we for another year and a half. Point. No. I'm going to we, say we're close now, John. Hi. <laughs> we're close. Hi, buddy. Uh, Love the travel sweats you got. Thank you. Yeah, I'm heading. We're recording this on uh, Friday, 9 a.m.-ish. You're so cute with the travel sweats. Thank you. I'm going from here. I'm at John's house. We're going to record this. Then I'm going to get a haircut, and I'm going to the airport. I'm going to Houston. Uh, I, I'm shocked that John is not joining me I am not me going Houston. to Houston. Uh Chris and I were walking to lunch the other day to do our planning, and uh, it was, uh, are we going to Houston? And we, you know, we hadn't looked at our count, like we hadn't, we'd have to clear off our calendar, we'd have to get the ticks, all that other stuff, and we're both just so. Ex- I got three hours of sleep on Tuesday, and I got four hours of sleep on Wednesday, and I'm like, wow, I don't even want to go to the, like we're supposed to have a happy hour with our uh, people at work. I don't want to do that. There's no way I'm getting my act together I mean, enough if, to go to Houston. If for the being weekend. sleep deprived <laughs> is an excuse not to do things this month, I would <laughs> well, not be doing now, anything listen, this. month. I will sleep when I'm dead. I get. Be but honest. I, but I get a two day two day rest. When you said to your lovely wife Christine, uh, "Would you like to go to Houston?" Did she say, "Is Gleeman going to be there?" <laughs> no, she said, "We don't like Houston." And I thought, "Well, yeah, well, I, okay. I, I, I have been to Houston. I've never been. I liked Houston actually. I know Texas okay. quite a bit, but usually Dallas. So I'm I'm uh, very curious. I've never been to that ballpark. It's uh, if you, you like know, Mexican food, remind me to give I you a recommendation like for that. Food. But I'm staying roughly a five minute walk from Houston's oldest Chinese restaurant. John, so oh, I suspect I will up. be there for all meals. <laughs> I love that you've researched. I'm going to set up shop there. Have with you my researched laptop. this or was this volunteered to you by one of the other beat writers? No, I just, <laughs> I looked like restaurants near the hotel I'm staying at, which is near the ballpark. And it's uh, <laughs> called like the original China pa- garden. or something. <laughs> anyway, we have uh, a well, lot. If it starts with original, it must be good. <laughs> yeah. Original gleaming in the geek. Uh, we have a lot to talk about. We're going to yes. talk a little bit about, the Twins, I cannot believe I'm saying this, but sweeping uh, the Toronto Blue Jays for their first playoff series win since 2002 against the Oakland A's. Right. Uh, when I was 19 years old, that happened. <laughs> and I am, well, I'm an old man now. Uh, you can do the math <laughs> yeah. on that. Um, John was like only, you were in your 50s then? <laughs> that's right. That's right. Uh, yeah. So we're going to talk yeah. about some of that. But here's the thing. Uh, you know, onward and upward, and the focus of this show is going to be on the upcoming ALDS best of five that starts in Houston tomorrow night, Saturday night. We're going to do a full scale Houston Astros preview. Right. Uh, 
if you're saying to yourself, wow, these guys did their last free show before we even knew the playoff opponent, which is true. <laughs> it is true. And now they're doing right. a show after yeah. the entire first round series. Well, yep. you are correct. This is why we encouraged everyone <laughs> to go to P-A-T-R-E-O-N, patreon.com slash Gleeman. We did... Uh, a series preview once we found out that yeah. the Blue Jays were the opponent, and then we did post-game shows. One in which we predicted a lot of the things that yes. were going to happen, some of the more critical events. Their approach to Gaussman, we <laughs> yeah. predicted the early hook on Barrios, yep. and a few other things. We got something. The use of uh, yeah, uh, Kikuchi. Yes. So if you're saying to yourself, well, I'd love to hear what they thought about the Barrios quick hook, or I'd love to hear what they thought about that pickoff play at second, yes. or I'd just love to hear these two the morning after, uh, you know, in euphoric states, right. you can do that. Yeah. Go to patreon.com slash uh, uh, ranting about Ray, uh, Roy, Royce Lewis. That too. <laughs> like, so my God. that is the, right. because here we're recording this on a Friday. We will be back with you in what we call the free show next Friday. Yes. The series might be over next yes. Friday, one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. Could right. be over. Yeah, it could be over. And if yeah. it's not over next yeah. Friday, then that night is going to be <laughs> very important. That's right. And yep. so if you don't want to wait that, that long night. <laughs> between episodes, go to patreon.com slash Gleeman. We are uh, breaking things down after each playoff game, win or lose. Uh, but what we are going to do, so we'll talk Blue Jays series briefly. We'll talk some big picture Astros things, and then we're going to give you a little, a little clip, a little glimpse into what kind of discussion you would get if you were a Patreon subscriber. Right. And we're going to play for you like a you know fifteen minute clip <laughs> of <laughs> the discussion surrounding yeah. the Blue Jays' decision to remove Jose Barrios uh, with zero outs in the fourth inning, and kind of the domino effect, what that set in motion right. for the rest of that game. And also I think it was an interesting discussion because A, Barrios is an old friend uh, of the Twins, so that adds a little drama to it. And then also just that kind of playing off of the whole quick hook narrative right. from Baldelli yeah, that sure. emerged last year. Yep. So we'll have that in the middle just to give you a glimpse of the, the what things are like on the Patreon side of the fence because we'd love you to join us. We're now up to, I think, 4,400 people on the <laughs> Patreon side. Yeah. So if you're thinking to yourself, well, I might be interested, but that sounds like a pretty little club. Like, is that – I'm going to feel weird. No, it's not that little anymore. And then we'll finish, hopefully, um, with a more kind of nuts and bolts breakdown of the Astros pitching – you know, yep. what the actual yeah. rotation plans yep. could be here because there's a couple really interesting wrinkles of that. And then, we'll unfortunately, we'll talk about the Astros lineup, which is, you know, the scary part, really. But, <laughs> but first, let's talk about this Blue Jays series a little bit. So it was, to me, I mean, it's incredible that you win your first playoff game in 19 years and then you wait, uh, you know, what, 30 hours right. and you win another, yep. not even 30 That's hours, right. basically 24 hours and you win another one. Um I loved, and we talked a lot about this on the Patreon side, but to me it was so, game one was so fun to be at just as an environment and to yes. see people going nuts and see the emotion not only from fans but from players and from yep. Baldelli and all yeah, that. Right. But there was a sense, especially among the players in that clubhouse, of, yes, this is awesome. We are so proud, especially Pablo Lopez, I thought, phrased this really well. He was like, we're so proud to have done this for the fans who have deserved better. I'm I'm so glad that this you know dark cloud is not hanging over, but it doesn't mean it's much. Just a baseball we, game. <laughs> we got to be here tomorrow right. and do it again. Yeah. Or it's not to say that wouldn't mean anything because it would mean something. Right. Yes. You broke the, the the first streak you had to break for any of this to matter. But I just love the fact that they came back 24 hours later. 
They did yeah. the exact same yep. formula, which was good starting pitching, a shutdown bullpen, and a you scratch across a, a, a little bit of offense, and you hang on tight, and you let Johan Duran uh, shut it down. And I love the and, fact that they were able to finish off the sweep, no game three drama, right. no possibility that they'd lose two in a row and have everyone feeling sour about the whole thing. Yep. Because I think that created its own emotions and its own highs but it also i think allowed the game one emotions to live on fully in full color and to be that people can remember what they felt when the 18 game right. losing streak snapped without having to go yeah, and then the next day they lost and then the <laughs> yeah, next day yeah. they lost so i love the fact that they they filled in all the blanks they filled in all the color and i mean i couldn't have drawn up a better Two game for they the also, Minnesota Twins. They, they also kind of you know jumped on a team potentially struggling a little bit. Like the Blue Jays have the same problem that the Twins had coming into this series at this point. That they're down. They're, what they've lost seven or eight now in a row in the in the postseason. Like they're starting to doubt themselves. It definitely seems like we've now had eight of these wild card rounds games. Only one of them has ever gone to three games. The team that is winning, even when yeah. it's an underdog, seems to have the advantage in game two consistently. Yeah, I mean, these these things come these best of threes, especially if you're the road team. Right. Uh they come at you so fast you lose one game. I talked about this on the Patreon, but I was I sat in on the Blue Jays press conferences after each uh -huh. of the games. And, you know, it's like a funeral, obviously. It's how it always is after a playoff loss. But there was like this weird feeling. And you're right. It's it's one game. You lost one game on the road, a three to one game. Right. You, they could have easily won that game. Right. And the feeling was, you know, what do you do to salvage the season? How you guys back <laughs> against the wall? And that's not wrong. Right. I mean, you right. lose one more, their, it's over. Their back is in fact against the wall. But it's right. such right. a strange, I don't know, in contrast to the feeling of the previous six months. Then the flip, the the switch just gets flipped. Yeah. And it's like you lose one game and your backs against the wall. And I, yeah, yeah. I mean, they're how, how did I mean how we like I said we've had. Eight of these happen. Only one in the two years now has gone to three games. Right. Both, all the, four of this year's were two games. That's sweeps, right. Obviously. All of them were two games. Sweeps. It just feels like there is an there is a reason to really try and apply the death blow on game two. Sure. You know what I mean? Like there's always a there's always a reason to try to apply the death blow. But it feels like the team is more whichever team has lost game one has, is at this point just feeling more vulnerable. I don't know if there are the pressures on. Yeah. They're gripping the bat. Well, I mean, let's also like say that the, more often than not, that's going to be the road team. Although that wasn't like no, the that Brewers wasn't lost. This year, but, right, yeah. but more often and, than not, that's going to be the road team. And so did the race. And <laughs> individual road teams are going to be you know favored to lose at home usually to a higher seeded team. It wasn't right. necessarily yes. the case with the Twins. But I also wonder if this goes back to the Barrios discussion, which you guys will hear in a little bit, which we had the other day after the game. But I wonder if losing game one kind of causes the manager or the front office of the losing team to get a little too cute there and to yeah. kind of overreact in terms of strategy, which I think we did see with Barrios. Yeah, Although yeah. I, I will also say that I believe they would have done the Barrios thing even if they had won game one. I think their writers, the Blue Jays writers that I talked to, because I tried to get as much yeah. intel on kind of what yeah. they were thinking, I think they felt that was the game two plan. That was always a plan. Always. Right. Now, yes. would they have done it the same way? Would they have done it as quickly? Who knows? Well, but Kikuchi was on a regular day's rest right. at that point in time. Like, um, So, I, I mean, I, the other thing I think is worth saying is, you know, all season, when you look back at this season, certainly the regular season, we'll see how the playoffs play out. But so far, it's the case. 
I think if you said, well, what was this season about for the Twins? And anybody who's been paying any attention would say it was about pitching. Yeah, especially sure. starting <laughs> yeah, pitching. Of course, right. I mean, especially in the first half, starting pitching just carried them to an incredible extent. They weren't hitting at all. Right. And then in the second half, the lineup actually, you know, held up their end of the bargain a little bit. The starting pitching in the middle kind of slipped, but then I think recovered pretty well down yeah. the stretch. And then the bullpen, once they started adding back some pieces and getting some guys in new roles to the bullpen, yeah. it was a re- retooled bullpen that then joined the good starting rotation. And by the end, I think the I mean, they allowed the fewest runs in the American League. It was all about right. pitching. Right. And so then you get to the playoffs and the Twins have just they haven't hit or pitched in the playoffs for the past 20 years, <laughs> right, but yeah, right. they really haven't pitched at all. And you look at these two games and within the the sweep, you go, well, it's interesting because they scored three runs in the first game right. and they scored two runs in the second game right. as an offense. That is a recipe for getting swept more right. often than yes. it is for sweeping, right. which we've seen in the past. I mean, you score five runs in two games against a good team, you're probably going to lose those two more often than you win those two. Yep. But what was the difference? What really differentiated this year from past years? Well, it certainly wasn't the offense. I mean, look, Royce Lewis had a monster sure. game one, right. yeah. and Carlos Correa had a big hit in game two. But let's be realistic here. They scored run totals in those games that lose more often than they win. They, well, they definitely took advantage of their opportunities to score some runs right. in those games, but there weren't that many they, opportunities they to score break, that many They didn't runs, right? break through, That's the way it is, right? especially in game two when they had right. a couple of chances to do so. You're right. Some of that was umpiring. Some of that was just not getting clutch <laughs> hits, whatever. And I'm not ripping them for that. All I'm saying is it really goes hand in hand with what we saw during the regular season, which is what was the real difference between this Twins team during the regular season and other AL Central winning division champion teams? Pitching, starting pitching, but just pitching. And what was the real difference between these two playoff games being a sweep for the Twins versus being a sweep against the Twins? pitching they allowed one run in the first game and they shut them out in the second game and we can talk all we want about you know clutch hitting and you know royce lewis and all that deserves credit but let's be honest they gave up one effing run in 18 innings that's how they won and so that to me all of this is like i said uncharted territory for us and for the twins for the last 20 years and for a lot of fans um but it's especially interesting to me that it's the continuation of a theme. It's not like they, like Lopez and Gray struggled in the first two games, but the offense bailed them out by scoring 10 runs. I mean, look, I'd take that too. That'd also be right. fun. Yes, sir. But yes, to sir. me, that almost kind of um, reinforces the strength of this team and why there is some hope to defeat the Astros, which is the recipe works. The recipe yes. that we saw for six months works, and this recipe can work against Houston. Now, the degree of difficulty for this about, being a success about to go up, <laughs> to go up a lot, yeah. especially because you can't start Lopez and and or Gray, Gray in the first game. Two, right, yeah. So you're going to get that. Those two are going to start three of the five games, but game one and game four, most likely, you know, that's going to be a little trickier. Right. So it's going to test the pitching depth in addition to just the pitching strength. So that's what I thought was really the most interesting part of this thing. I mean, it was also just a lot of great moments. There were a lot of moments where, you know, whether it was Louis Varlin's fly ball that he gave up into the right center field gap in game one <laughs> right, yes. or the Correa play that he made yes. in uh, game one, in the game one <laughs> yeah. or the pickoff play that Gray and Correa made when they were in absolute danger yeah. with Bo Bichette at the plate and two guys in scoring position. There were so many moments where I just thought or even said to the people next to me, that is 100% the spot where the <laughs> right. game would fall apart for the Twins at any point in the past 20 years. 
and it just didn't. Or Durant having a cut on his finger. Durant, the ninth. Durant <laughs> comes out to pitch the ninth in game two, and the trainers go out there, and they're standing out there for three or four minutes looking at his finger, and I'm thinking, he's about to I come think out. It was, I think it was closer to three or four hours. Yeah, it felt <laughs> like it. It felt like days to me. And then I see Emilio Pagan warming up in the bullpen, and I went, well, I know how this is going to go, and then it just it doesn't go that way. Yeah. It's a plot twist. Yes, yeah, it's, exactly. it's uh, you know you're expecting it to zig and it zags. Yeah, so it turns out it's red herring. Yes, <laughs> it really it's amazing, and I, I you yeah. I don't think Twins fans can be blamed for expecting things to fall apart when it looks like there's the possibility that things will fall apart. Right. It always has, and I'm, I'm not like exaggerating. It just always has <laughs> yes. for 20 years. Yeah. They, that's how you go eight oh and eighteen, and so I think. Between all that stuff I said about the pitching and the idea that every spot where you thought it was going to fall apart, it didn't, I think gives a sort of clean slate element to this whole thing. You broke both the streaks. You avoided all the meltdowns that usually happen. Right. The the thing that carried you all season, which in itself is new, which is to say good pitching right. for the Minnesota Twins, league best pitching, continued to carry you into the first round. Now you're stepping up in weight class here, though. Right. Uh, but I do like the the fact that it's now. I wish it was a seven game series, but it's I a five too, game series, especially given Houston's. Well, makeup. true, yeah. But I, I love the fact that it's a five game series. I love the fact for us, it just gives more breathing room mm-hmm. to a series. They're going to play Saturday and Sunday in Houston. There's a travel slash off day we Monday. Get, we could all get a breather. Yes, <laughs> there's time to actually kind of analyze and look yep. ahead. Yep. There's time to talk about specific plays. It doesn't feel like it's just a locomotive flying past you or towards you, which. You know, to your point about a team that loses the first game in right. a while, yeah. it just feels like there, there's no time to just breathe. Yeah. It's yeah. just yeah. you're back the next afternoon yep. and you're playing. And so I love the fact, you know, it, it was just fun to watch. But I love the fact that yes, is this the opponent that you'd like to face? Maybe not. Right. But you know, to be the man, you got to beat the man. It's time. A, a wise philosopher named uh, Richard Flair said that. Should we talk about the man a little bit now? In this case, the, the Houston Astros. Yeah, I mean, right, yeah. Uh, Yes. I mean, I think when we were talking about uh, the first round series last yeah. Friday, in fact, yes, right. when it was going into the what ended up being a pretty crazy final weekend in right. the AL West, yes. where everything was in play as of Saturday, basically. Right. Uh, and then Sunday, it got decided. Yes, the Astros right, yeah. leapfrogged right. The, the Rangers to take the division title. We weren't sure who the Twins were playing. And a lot of our discussion was about, well, who should they prefer to play? Or should who should they not want to play? And we kind of came the to answer The answer was not Houston. Yes, not Houston right. was, was, I think, both of our answers. And I know Dan Hayes, when I talked to him about it, felt identically. And so now you get Houston. Only now they're rested. Now they're fully rested. <laughs> yep, you're going to get arrange their rotation they, the way they want. They to. got their ra- rotation all set up. <laughs> right, their uh, their elderly little elderly roster gets a little more <laughs> time it. to rest. All that they also they get them. They they're at home instead of yes, coming that's true. here, yeah. which is key. Although I saw the Astros come here in 2020, yeah, that, and beat the Twins back to back afternoon games, yeah. uh, similar to what we were talking about. That's right. It was over also before. very low scoring games. It was true. Yeah, right. um, and I might three one two zero. That season <laughs> is much different because it was the 60 game COVID shortened season and all of that. But one theme then was going into that series that the Astros won. They were below five. They had a losing record in that 60-game season, the Houston Astros. Yes, right, yes. And many of their superstar players, uh, Correa was still on the team at that point, but like L2, yeah. all, many of their, their household name guys who had made these playoff runs with them before had mediocre years. They had some injuries. They had some underperformance. And it was one of the talking points was 
is this just the result of having shortened the season down to basically two months where you get more extreme outcomes and guys who are off to slow starts don't have another hundred games to get back to their normal levels? Right. Or was this the beginning of the end of that, you know, uh, sort of dynasty level Astros team? Right. And a lot of our discussion at that time centered around, well, yeah, they're a losing team. But let's look at the names. Well, there's also the question of how much of their previous pa- previous success in the past had been due, due to some sort of cheating. Well, that's true. Right? That was going yes. into the tournament. That was the third. That was the third pretty fair storyline. Yeah. Um, and there were no fans at those games, so <laughs> right. they weren't getting booed or anything. Like <laughs> yes. it was, that was an interesting little you know You're side right. story yeah. of that. But and there was a sense, I think, of no matter what their record was, and no matter what their stats, how, how underwhelming some of their individual numbers were through sixty games. The bell's going to ring here, and Carlos Correa and Jose Altuve and Jordan Alvarez and Alex Bregman are going to come out of the right. the corner here, and that's who you're fighting. Right. And so, really, who cares what the record is? Now, they, this wasn't as extreme as that, but the Astros kind of had to year. scrape their way to yeah. 90 wins. They had to win the yeah. last game of the season just to win a division title. I, did, I meant to look this up, but I don't think I did. Were they ever in first place in the AOS yes, before that last for game? for like 25 out of 180 <laughs> okay. days yeah, or okay, something right, like that. Yeah. But, you, you know, I mean, Texas was in first right. place for the vast majority right. With a little bit of Seattle thrown in there early in September, but I get I get the same feeling. Like it's the same question yes. to me, which is they're a little bit older now, which even adds to that. But you look at the names here, and it you couldn't draw up a scarier opponent yeah. because we've all seen what these guys do when they had Korea, and even since losing Korea, what these guys are have done and are capable of doing in October. The last we, the last week of the season when they really needed to win some games, yes. they went to a three game set with Seattle. Seattle this year. Felt like they had gotten the Houston Astros monkey off their backs this year. Going into that series, the, uh, Seattle was eight and two versus right. the Astros, and in that th- and they, and they had they had three games versus the Astros at home. They win those games, they're going to be in the postseason and maybe knock the Astros out of yep, the postseason. They would have for sure. And they go one and two, right? And that second one, that second loss, ended up being you know basically the the deciding. Piece. That's what put them really behind the eight ball, and Seattle ended up being the, the team that missed the postseason. And that's because in game one they trotted out Verlander, in game three they trotted out Valdez, right. and uh, in, in, the, in the middle of game three they just started hitting home runs again. They had the same <laughs> bad, <laughs> bad MFers in the middle of that lineup exactly. that they had for that's 10 exactly years. Right. Yep. And like Dan wrote an article um, yesterday, I guess, about October Correa. Because all Correa kept saying as he battled the plantar fasciitis all season and had underwhelming numbers and missed some time and grounded into a billion double plays is, I know this doesn't look good. I don't feel good. I'm struggling through this injury, but I'm playing. Get me to October. Yeah. Just get me there. Yeah. Now, I'm not going to say – I mean, he had an RBI single and he made a couple good plays. I'm not saying like right. we're out of the woods yet. Right. But I feel like the Astros' whole team it's kind like of yes, for, yes, for years right. has had that. And I remember as an NBA fan – there were some great Bulls teams who had that same approach, which is we're going to get to the playoffs, and I will guarantee you the team we play doesn't want to play us in the right. playoffs. That's right. And I remember the second Houston Rockets championship team struggled through a mediocre regular season. I believe they were like maybe the sixth seed. And I, I'll always remember a quote from their coach, Rudy Tomjanovich, which said, we're not mad about being the sixth seed. You know who's mad about being us being the sixth seed? The, the three, three seed. seed. Yeah. They don't want to play yeah, us, exactly. something to that extent. So well, I mean, that's it, the vibe it, I get from this it, Astros team. The Astros are trying to get to the ALCS for the seventh year in a row. Right. I mean, they know they know what they're <laughs> yeah. doing. Since 2017, they've never not made the ALCS. Yes. <laughs> I mean, I think they are always in the mix. At some point, 
whether it's uh, you know the New England Patriots, those Yankees teams of the '90s and early 2000s, you know, right, the, right. The, obviously the Bulls ended because Jordan retired. But beyond that, Kansas City now. I mean, at some point, <laughs> this ends. Yeah. Um, why not be the one to end it? <laughs> it could be. Yep. And you know, Verlander's 40. He's not 32 right. anymore. Yeah. Jose Tuve's 33. He's not 27 anymore. Yeah. Now they got some scary MFers who are in their 20s too. Alvarez and Kyle Tucker has been a, a more recent addition to that lineup, who's incredible. I mean, they are a, a potentially still a great team. Don't let the win total convince right. you that they're uh, sagging more than they are. But they're not an invincible team. Right. Uh, they are a beatable team. They this group has lost playoff games to teams like the Twins before, not often, but before. And I think they're also then obviously the Correa going back to Houston and facing his old 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 team is a hell of a storyline yeah, yeah, too. It, yep. Um, you get Ryan Presley uh, against his yeah, old that's squad. True. Yeah, that's, yeah. He's still their closer, he's Ryan their Presley, closer. at this point. Um, like you mentioned, the only other, and we'll we're gonna dive a lot deeper into like the Astros rotation, Presley and yes. that bullpen. We'll talk about some more specific MFers in this lineup. And yeah. I say that as a term of uh, respect, <laughs> yeah, right, yeah. MFer. I know it doesn't sound that way, but <clears throat> right. um, the, the, the biggest difference between playing them now five games versus last week three games is home field, obviously. They're going to get three in Houston versus having to play all three in Minnesota. But then, to your point, they they have things lined up in yeah. rotation yep. exactly how they would want it, and the Twins do not. Right. So what that means for the Astros is they've chosen some guy named Verlander. I don't know. I think he, <laughs> I guess he's uh, they got they acquired him mid year. He's been pretty good. For, yeah, been pretty good for them since the season pickup. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, one of the I would say probably I don't know dozen best starting pitchers of all time. Certainly, top twenty-five starting pitchers yeah, of all time. Maybe. I mean, a, a generational starting pitcher. Yes, right. Uh, you know, like along yeah. with Kershaw, and you know, you start to talk about this here. A a first ballot inner circle Hall of Famer. Five years immediately, five years after he retires, and somebody who used to be known for you know being a pretty good pitcher, but always on a bad team. You kind of wondered if he was dragging down the Tigers, whether or not he was dragging down the Mets earlier this year. <laughs> Yeah, okay. It's funny. Dragging down uh, Kate Upton. Guy's got a real tough life on and off the field. Uh, he's. They chose him to start over Framber Valdez, who was also a yeah. all-star lefty, yeah. top five for the Cy Young last year. Versus um, the Twins. <laughs> right, yeah. And what's interesting then, and we'll get more into this a little deeper in the show, is it sets up – so you're going to face Verlander in game one and Valdez in game two. Right. Which is that's scary. Uh, and you could face both of them. You in game could potentially five. <laughs> face. Well, beyond that, you could potentially face Verlander on short rest yeah, in sure game rest four, before, and right. then Valdez oh, on full game. rest yeah, in game five. Yeah, I hate, I hate that. So yeah. you could face them four times in five games. With I'm guessing a Christian Javier start in game three as the only difference. But as we'll talk about later, you know Verlander on short rest. It's no sure thing that that's what the Astros decide to right. do. Yeah. He ha doesn't have the greatest track record or even that big of a track record on short rest. I looked up the numbers. We can get into that. Uh, but he's also f he's, he's 40 right, years yeah, old, yeah. and he remains an upper-level, you know, number one starter caliber pitcher, but he is certainly not at the level he was three years ago, five years ago. I mean, he missed a whole season with an arm injury, right. and he's just old. He's incredible for a 40-year-old. <laughs> right. But he's not, you know, prime, prime Justin Verlander, and I do wonder – what he would look like on short rest 
at the end of a season where he's had some injuries and still finished with a hundred and I don't know seventy innings right. or something yeah. like that. So I am curious, but you know, you got to force their hand to even see that. I mean, if yes. first of all, they could sweep the Twins and not even need right. to worry about that. Yep. And even if they're up, let's say two to one, heading into Game Four, they would probably be less inclined to do that. Now, that's a pick your poison. Do you want to actually face Verlander on short rest, or would you rather not face Verlander? In the Seattle series I talked about, he went eight innings and gave up one right. run. No, he was, <laughs> like, believe right. me, vintage Verlander is still you know, there. He won a critical game, right? <laughs> I just, you know, it's the same thing with Kershaw. It's like. They're still capable of reminding you precisely how spectacular they are. Right, that's right. But there's a little bit more kind of room for something to go wrong or just physically. Like not from even yeah. from a performance standpoint, but it's just a lot to ask uh, from a 40-year-old. Twins so, have not seen, because Verlander was with the Mets for most of the right. year, they didn't see Verlander at all this year. Uh, they also had, by the way, did not see Framber Valdez at all this year. He didn't start any of the games. He's also them. now he he had a perfectly good season. Like uh, you know, you look at the overall numbers and you go, yeah, this is one of the, the better lefties in the league. But it wasn't. Qu- there were some some control issues. He gave up more homers during stretches because yeah. he is an extreme ground ball sinker baller guy. Yep. And he did have a couple stretches. I remember during the during the season. I think especially during the second half where he gave up some some big yeah. contact. And so maybe there's a little bit of a dent in the armor there, too, that you can exploit. Now, I say that. We might be sitting back right. here and going, boy, the Twins didn't score any runs against Verlander and Valdez. Right. Yes. Who could have, you know, that? that's how, <laughs> yep. you know, on paper it could easily play out. But Those I think, Patreon discussions on Sunday and Monday morning could be pretty depressing. Yes. <laughs> or they could be right. like. Or they could have, They, they could just jump, took it to a Hall of Famer. Yeah, they could sabotage and, him. And, yeah, I mean, I, look. I'm not known for being the most optimistic guy in the world, obviously, <laughs> or even in this room. But I'm I'm at the point now where, you know, yes, it's two games. You beat the Blue Jays in two games. But so much of why, and I think you're, you feel the same, which is big picture, so much of why we wanted to see these streaks end was just on the basic level, you can't win a World Series unless you win a playoff game or and right. then a playoff series. But we just wanted to be able – to talk about and think about and uh, have people be fans of this team without that BS looming, right, yeah. without yeah. every good game or good stretch or even good season being met with, well, yeah, but if they're not going to win in the playoffs, what does it matter? Or every good trade being like, yeah, that was a good trade, but you know they'll probably still lose in October and all that. And just the act of winning two games, to me, doesn't mean that they're going to go on and win the World Series, doesn't mean that they won't get swept, doesn't mean that whatever. All it means is you can finally now, for the first time in two decades, just treat this as a normal team yeah, that's right. and treat all possibilities as open once you get certainly to the final four of the American League. Anything is possible at this point. Yeah, that's right. they, could, they could get swept. They could sweep. They could beat the Astros. They could make a World Series run. It's All possibilities are open. And I think that, to me, other than just the euphoric feeling of being in the ballpark at Target Field for those two games. <laughs> right, but yes. bigger picture, that to me is the best thing to come out of this, which is now we can just talk about this as a normal baseball team with highs and lows and good outcomes and bad outcomes and real possibilities on both ends of the spectrum as opposed to just, well, yeah, but, yeah, but. There's no yeah, buts now. Now it's just wide open road. You determine whatever you want to do. And that to me is the most exciting thing even with a daunting opponent, even going on the road against right. the defending champs. The, Feels know, less predestined. Yes. And that, <laughs> yeah, I mean, not, yeah, I really yeah. do think that hung over this fan base. Yeah, sure. I mean, I know of course it, it hung did. over us. Right. Just of course, yeah. Because there's, a, there's only a certain level of 
excitement about anything or just uh, personal investment that people would allow themselves to have. And I don't blame them for no, that. No, I don't either. But I, I just think now that the, the slate has been clean, now let's do it. Now let's just feel the good, the bad, the ugly, whatever it is. Just let it wash over you now like a real team. There is not this dark cloud. And so that to me is the most exciting thing as I uh, as I head to Houston. And uh, yeah. But before we talk about that. To have some original Chinese food. Yeah. Original <laughs> China. I'm pretty sure that's not it. Maybe they're podcast <laughs> listeners. I don't know. If you want to eat well, uh, we would recommend you stop by the Bricksworth Beer Company north in the North Loop if you want to uh, prior to your Twins games or after your Twins games. Uh, their pizza is their rectangular Detroit style yeah. pizza is listen I've been pleasantly surprised by my friends reactions to that pizza they're yeah. all crazy about it uh, turns out uh, they're not the only ones they were ranked number one for in Minnesota for the Detroit style pizza by the Washington Post and that's I mean like that's important but it's a beer company. Right. Yeah, on top of that, it's also a beer company. And they like, just have good pub food, too, like right. burgers, fries, yes, all that that's sort right. of stuff. They're, they're uh, related to Blackstack Brewing, the same family that the Blackstack Brewing. If you know anything about Blackstack Brewing, you know all the awards they're winning, especially for their hazy IPAs and so on. Uh, it's just – A lot of just, TVs to watch sports. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's at the, it's in the old Darby spot, which yes. is just blocks right. from Target It's got that field. great porch out there next to the train so, yes. tracks. It's a – Go try it out. Join them. They also have a Burnsville location that you can also watch some games on TV. Just Google Bricksworth, which is B-R-I-C-K-S-W-O-R-T-H, Bricksworth, and follow the signs to their great patio, uh, just one block from Target Field. You're going to love this place. It's one of the best new additions to uh, pre-gaming and post-gaming before Twins games. And then also, let's just talk a little bit about... uh, If you're watching these games at home and you're a stress (laughs) eater like I am, you're going to want some snacks that are good and filling... But maybe not the worst for you, <laughs> That's uh, right, especially yeah. if you're going through bulk on that couch like I tend to do. That is that is right. Uh, yeah, they uh, we would recommend the Chomps Meat Sticks. Uh, they are packed with mouth-watering flavor. Also, the best real ingredients. Uh, zero it has all the protein your body needs. Over nine grams per per stick, and everybody knows that protein kind of helps you keep full up. No unhealthy additives. Zero sugar. They're low carb. They're keto friendly. They're allergy friendly. Don't contain any fillers. Uh, I just tried out their taco one, which is really yeah. good. A taco feed. They sent us like a variety pack to try yes. out. They have nine different flavors, so there's a bunch of different options for you. And uh, yeah, it's uh, they have good, thousands good of five star reviews. Good snack for the kids. You can put it in their you know lunchbox or something true, for them. Yeah. That's a good good plan. And yeah. here right now, Chomps. C-H-O-M-P-S. Chomps. Like, <laughs> chomps. Uh, like what? <laughs> <laughs> I do my own How do you spell like, that? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. <laughs> Where do they put that in all ads? They should. That's it's offering our listeners, Gleamingly Geek listeners, 20% off their first order, and you get free shipping, so just go to chomps, C-H-O-M-P-S, chomps.com slash Gleaming. That's chomps. Dot com slash Gleeman for 20% off your first order and you get free shipping. That's C-H-O-M-P-S dot com slash Gleeman and don't forget to use uh, the Gleeman code so they know we sent you. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> what if that becomes like my calling card? Oh my God. Like, <laughs> all right. So we, we mentioned that we were like, going to be hey talking. now. Or something like that. <laughs> like uh, that. We mentioned that we were going to be including a clip from the Patreon. I actually had trouble fight, figuring out which clip to do. We did another 15 or 20 minutes on stealing on the on the pickoff on second yes, base, it turns out it down. very tight, interesting, right. decision filled, and odd play filled right. playoff games. Right. 
with little sleep bring out the best in us in terms of discussions. <laughs> That's exactly right. And so we had a couple of very lively, lengthy, like sort of strategic, but also just yeah. even more than that discussions. So we've chosen here a what I thought was a good minutes. discussion. If, if you've already heard this because you're one of the 4,400 people that True. are on Patreon, you skip might want it. to skip forward 22 minutes. Or listen to it again. Right. It was yeah. pretty good. <laughs> That's right. It's yeah. like right. watching a movie again. You see all the different things you didn't see in the right. first movie. But we had specifically talked about the chances. Way back on Monday in the preview episode, we talked about how they were probably planning on using Kikuchi as a middle-inning weapon at some point to try and shut down the Twins. Then just before Game 2, we talked about how it looked like it was Game 2 where they were going to use him. Right. right? And then we talked a little bit in Game before that one about how Baldelli might respond, whether or not he would pull out some of his left-handed right. hitters. How would set your lineup, them. how quickly you would turn to your right-handed bats off the bench. <laughs> right. There was just so much strategy from the Blue Jays' side, but then the domino effect was it forced the Twins to either not make moves or unload their entire right. bench, and that was and clearly it ended part up, of the, and, the And the it all Jays. ended up being sort of the, one of the pivotal, I mean, it only two runs were scored. Point. It yeah, was, I mean, yeah, that was the whole game right, right there. And I, I've noticed... Ken Rosenthal wrote a whole column about it this yeah, morning. Right. I saw it on ESPN as the talking point. So that decision has become, I think the word is what, fulcrum? A fulcrum for sort of uh, hot takes on both sides. Sure. We didn't necessarily have hot takes because that is not our specialty. <laughs> uh, but I think this is a very good, lengthy discussion about old friend Jose Barrios pitching three shutout, walking the leadoff man in the fourth, getting removed from a playoff game, and sort of everything that transpired before, during, and after that. And so, when we get back, we'll, we'll do the same thing that we did with the Blue Jays with the Astros. We'll break down what we expect to see. So the other big topic post-game, particularly in the Blue Jays, because I sat in on the Blue Jays press conference too, which again is like the, everybody's yep. catatonic. Um, so their manager, John Schneider. they got to be talking about Kikuchi. They were talking about Barrios Kikuchi. And so we thought this was what they would do. Yes. I mean, if you go listen to the post-Game yes. 1 podcast, yes. when having sat in on their press conferences then, and yep. the vibe I thought was Barrios is going to start because he's right-handed and right. he's good, yep. and they want the Twins to put all their lefties in the lineup, which they did. They didn't change the lineup from Game 1, but there were, what, five lefties or whatever. Um, they're going to probably, we thought, let Barrios go through the lineup once or the first sign of major trouble, right. whichever comes first. And then they were going to bring in Kikuchi. And after one inning, Brios looked good. I mean, he, it was one of his better. He was. That's, that slurve. Yes. I mean, he looked <laughs> good. He was throwing as hard as he normally does. He was getting swings and misses. He was throwing strikes. He looked good. I mean, he was amped right. to face his old team. But after the first inning, Kikuchi starts getting right. loose in the bullpen. Yeah. Right. And I think, man, they might just do like an opener situation here with Barrios and just flip the lineup immediately. But then Kikuchi sat down. Yeah. And then actually they warmed up a different lefty, Genesis Cabrera, in either the second or between the second and the third, in which I thought, well, this is interesting. But then Kikuchi starts to warm up again. Right. And Barrios cruises through three innings, three shutout on 47 pitches. He's looking as good as – I mean, I watched a lot of Jose Barrios starts. You have too. Right. He looked great for his – what are pretty lofty standards. He's a good pitcher. I would like to know what percentage of slurves he was throwing. It felt to me like he had so much confidence in that slur. That slur he could throw it for a strike. He could fool people with it. He would – I, I think there were several batters where he threw nothing else but right. the slur. Like I think that he throws that about 25 30% of the time overall. It felt like he was throwing it 60%. Like – he had something going for him that he does not usually have going for him. And I think be, 
because it felt like because the plan was and because probably they had prepared Kikuchi to pitch that day. Do you right. know what I mean? Like that is his fifth day after his last start. He started right. on Friday. Wednesday is the day he would have started. I, my guess is he threw in bullpen three days ago. Every, the plan was always to use Kikuchi. Right. He was sitting out there as a weapon for them to use from the beginning of the series. And Barrios knows that. And so Barrios can also approach his outing right? differently. Yep, you're right. Because it's going to be shorter. Now, yep. he would have liked it to be longer, right. but he probably knew – you can go a little bit more max effort. Yeah. That's part of the, the plan with this sort of thing. And so he gets through three on 47 pitches, yeah. and Kikuchi comes in to face some lefties, basically. Well, he walks Royce Lewis. Right. Barrios oh, right. walked with Royce right. Lewis. He walks right? Royce Lewis. I think he already had one out, by the way, too, when he walked Royce I could no, be wrong about no that. Outs. No outs. You're right. But yeah, yeah you're, you're he right. walked no outs, Royce right. to lead off the game, and then Kikuchi comes in. And that's because you t- you've got two left-handed. Like it, I, when, right, they, it goes, when, they, when they moved Kikuchi, I, I thought – Kepler and – Kepler and uh, Kirilov, Kirilov right? then Correa, and then Walner. Right. So three of the next four guys are – and I'm like, well, yep, this is what, this is why they're bringing this – this is exactly the time they should bring in Kikuchi right. if you're going to Kikuchi. Because it does one of two things if you're Toronto, and this is why this was their plan all along, yes. which we suspected, and it clearly was their plan all along because this wasn't a reaction to Barrios pitching poorly because he pitched right, great. Right. So they it either accomplishes one of two things if it goes well from their point of view, which is either you bring in – a, a really good left-handed pitcher who had a good year against and a I, team that has had problems hitting lefties. Against uh, and <laughs> you know he's probably Barrios is equal in terms of just performance right. this yep. season. And you bring him in to a spot in the lineup where he's going to face three or four lefties right. in the first five batters he faces right. or whatever. And or if Baldelli and the Twins right. don't want that to happen because that's an ideal matchup situation for Kikuchi to come in and just face a bunch of lefties as a good lefty. Or if the Twins and Baldelli don't want that to happen, they have to put in motion in the fourth inning right. all their bench moves right. and take right-handed bats off the bench, put them into the game to get the platoon advantage against Kikuchi, remove those good left-handed bats, which right. by definition they've decided are their best hitters right. for this game because they started the game. Right. And then you come back with a heavily right-handed right. bullpen the on the back The closer and the right. setup man, they're all right-handed, and you're going to get Kyle Farmer. Instead of them facing Julian. Yeah, you're going to be right. facing right. Yeah. And so – what and you wanted to talk about this too, which is <laughs> the Kepler's. Kepler was the first guy he faced. So, yeah, let, let me one with one other thing. And I want Ke- to but Kepler is also the least likely, or has become the least, <laughs> least likely, likely lefty to get pinch hit for Correct. because a got the defense. He, they want his defense. Yep. He's a veteran. They want his defense in the game in right field, and he's just in the second half, especially. He's held tough against yes. lefties. I'm yes. not saying he's been amazing, but he, the quality of that bat has been decent against lefties to the point that you don't feel like, oh, we got to get him out of the lineup in the fourth inning. Exactly. And right. so he hits an infield single, basically. Think, yeah, right. Um, to, he pulls it to the uh, between first and second, right. gets on, yeah. and then that puts the wheels in motion for the bench moves to start happening exactly right. because then you got first and second, no outs. You yes. got Kikuchi, who's still yes. hoping to face Kirilov, but if you're Baldelli, you say, well, Kikuchi yeah. has to face three batters minimally. Yeah. I don't know if we talked about this on Friday or we talked about it on Monday or we talked about it yesterday, right? But we talked about what would, what criteria will Baldelli use to decide whether right. or not to pinch hit for lefties in those middle innings. Yes, and the, early. And, yeah. and, and, it, and we... You had asked him about that. Like, that's yes. one of the things he has talked about. I don't know if it was specifically about this one or if it was in general, but the criteria is, is it a high le- like is it turning into a high leverage inning? Right. Basically, right. his idea is, and I'm sure the front office is. Do I have, on the do same I have a chance to put up a crooked number? Yes. Can I? It's not. I'm just. I'm <laughs> right. not just trying to get the leadoff man on base. Right. I'm trying to 
there's two guys on or a guy in scoring right. position and a hit here changes yeah. the entire face of this game yes. to the point that then we can be you know in the driver's yes. seat and it can affect our bullpen choices it can affect our you know pinch hitting pinch running defensive choices they want to get that lead and play with the lead you want to play going downhill yeah when, like when kepler comes up to bat uh, it's still Kirilov in the on-deck circle. Right. And I don't think that's because Baldell is trying to fool anybody there. I think it's because if... Well, if, if, you if, don't if, have if, to fool him because right. he has to stay in right. to face if, three if, batters. If, if Kep, right. If Kep, yeah, exactly. Right. There's no if, fooling. Right. Like, you're right. Right. Good point. If Kepler doesn't get a hit there, well, now you've got one out and you got a runner on first, and that runner right. on first is Royce Lewis. Right. It's not a break. It doesn't have a lot of speed. It's not a break the game open situation. Right. And, and so, so they, maybe they you just let Kirilov hit. Right. And if he makes it out, then you at least have Correa Instead, up. Instead, now you've got runners on first and second and no outs. No outs, right. And now, now you're going to bring in the righty. And Solano had a great at bat. Uh, some foul balls that looked like they could have been hits at some point, but ended up getting a walk. Right. Now it's and bases loaded. He had pinch hit for Kirloff in slightly later, but in the right. middle innings of game one also. Because right. clearly, first of all, they feel like, I know Solano hasn't been like impressive at first base, but they feel it's not a huge downgrade from Kirloff to Solano at first base. Maybe that says more about Kirloff at, at this point. <laughs> but also they feel like even against righties late in games, the it, quality of Solano's sure. bats Will at least be decent. He'll put up a fight. Sure. He's like he's more. He's among the more likely to put the ball in play. Right. All that. So you're not like Kirloff might do more damage in that situation. Sure. But Solano's going to give you a professional, professional at bat. That. So right. yes, he draws a walk. Yes, to, to bring the bases loaded. Yeah, and by the way, you know behind these guys, you've got a righty. Yes, you've got Correa coming up versus Kikuchi, who's also he's got to face Correa because it's the right. that's, that's the third, the third batter, batter he's got to face. Right. So you and you're not messing with Correa, obviously. Yeah. And so, yeah, now you've got the – because Solano ends up having a, a professional at bat in there because he got substituted for Kirilov. Here's well, now instead of, instead of you know, uh, one runner on first, one out, and Kirilov right. at the plate, a lefty versus a lefty. You're in the most ideal spot there is, which is bases loaded, no outs. That's right. By the way, here's how professional the at bat was for Solano. Wasn't even an at bat. That's how you. That's a true sign of a professional at bat. You drew a walk. It's a plate appearance. I wasn't. I thought it was funny. Like the phrase is a professional at bat. The true mark is you turn it from an at bat. That's a fair point. So Correa comes up, and I had visions of two things in my head. One, he's going to hit a grand slam. Or two, (laughs) he's going to hit triple play. (laughs) He's going to ground to third, and he can't run. Uh, he defies all expectations, yes. doesn't ground into the just double play. Just rips a single, just a textbook, <laughs> yep. hard hit, take it back up the middle. That's right. It was so hard hit and so close to second base right. that it almost hit Kepler yeah. as the base <laughs> yes, runner at right. second. And he – He couldn't score. I watched the replay of this. Kepler's a pretty good base runner, and he's he's reasonably fast, and he's smooth, and he's a good base runner. But he's not very aggressive. He's right. a little cautious to the point that the, some people will joke like players will joke about, you got to get Max to like try to score on his way. <laughs> and you can see in that moment, he did what he was supposed to do, which is you hold up until the ball gets through. But because the ball was smoked and almost hit him, yeah. his holding up meant he turned literally to face center field right. yes. and watch the ball go through. And so once the ball gets through, he's then got to turn his body yeah. and go to third. He's not scoring. He's not scoring. Tommy right. Watkins had right. put the stop sign up. I was watching it develop because I was very curious. Put the stop sign up immediately. Yeah, of course. Because also... It's, station, it's going to be station to right, station. And you still have bases loaded, no, no outs. outs right? right. And so that's a good moment for Correa. Yeah. Now, that proved to be the game-winning run. Yeah, they didn't true. know it at the yeah. time, obviously. And then... And then now you've got once a left, lefty again. Once the wheels are already right. in motion, that's right. you're unloading your bench. Now, Walner was up. It occurred to me that that 
if anything happened, Walner was probably going to be replaced one way or the other. Well, I don't know that Wal- – I mean, unless they got out of that inning so through Correa. this is what they did in game one, which is – I call it run prevention mode, which is once the Twins get a lead – now, in game one, it was 3-1 to one after, what, five or something like that. They took Walner out and put in <laughs> right. Willie Castro yeah. in left field defensively. Defensive. So if you're right. planning to do that in an anyway. inning or two anyway, right. because now you do have the lead – you would like to maybe have a two-run lead or three-run right. lead instead of a one-nothing lead. So they pinch hit Willie Castro. I also think the other reason they did that. Now, I personally probably wouldn't have done that. But, you know, I'm a Matt Walner Bobo, obviously. Because sure. I felt like he was very unlikely, Walner, to hit into a double play. He's, I believe, pretty yeah, right. hit into one or zero double plays That's in his fair. entire career. That's fair. Now, but... He is very likely, likely to strike, strike out. out. Yeah. But a strikeout in that spot, no, it's not good, but bases it's still just bases out. loaded one out, yeah. and you know you can keep keep chugging along. But I do get the idea there, the thought process behind it, which is Willie Castro batting right-handed against Kikuchi is much more likely than a lefty on lefty with Walner right. to literally just put the ball in play, or right. like Baldelli says, put the ball forward. Now, it just so happens. And you've got to run around third base and listen to outs. <laughs> right. And yeah, just right. score yeah, one right. run That's there. Right. That's You're right. just trying to get a right. two-run lead instead of a one-run lead right. in that exact moment. And he did. <laughs> now, like I said with, with Correa, like the the thing I probably would have predicted least in that spot, you could have convinced me almost anything would have happened in that spot. A double play probably would have been at the end of my list because Willie Castro okay, right? is real fast. Yeah. Uh, and I don't know how many double plays he's hit into, more than, than Walner, because um, there are Fast isn't the only way to avoid double plays. Sure. If you strike out a lot and you only hit fly balls, it's hard <laughs> yeah, to course. hit into a double play. Yeah, yeah. Instead, he grounds into a you know just a very straightforward double play. Even someone with his speed couldn't avoid it. But even then, and that's the worst outcome there that you can right. get is a double. Play. I mean, a triple play would be uh, <laughs> would be worse. But the the worst outcome there is a double play, and it's still scored a run. Yeah, that's right. And so then, if you had been up to nothing somehow without using Castro, right. you're probably an inning away, from, if that, bringing from Castro, Castro in. coming yep. in defensively anyway for that spot. So exactly right. it isn't something I would do, but I, I think the thought process behind it, even in real time, I was like, okay, I, I get what they're doing. And the bigger point is the one you said, which is they thought, here's the game right here, yeah. this inning. The Blue Jays have decided to do something controversial yeah. and sort of outside the box or outside the norm. Yeah. They've removed the pitcher. They've brought in the lefty. They're sort of challenging us to either not make moves, in which case they get the matchups that they've chosen, right. yep. or make moves, in which case they're hoping they're, they're they, they get through it intact, yeah. and then they have the tactical advantage right. because we've exhausted our bench. Right. And so once you – Which, by the way – Great. I mean, like, that is exactly what I would have suggested the Blue Jays do. Sure. But what ends up happening is what we also kind of talked about at some point. You, it's different being a reliever than it is being a starter. You can't come in as a, as a starter, you can have a little bit of a slow start in the first inning. Sure. You know what I mean? You can't come in as a reliever and start falling behind in counts. Yeah, and those, such, such. Yes, but think right? of what he did. He gave up a single so, to Correa and right. induced a double play. Well, it's true, but he also, he also walked Solano before that, and sure, he also, he also gave up the single to Kepler. He came in that. with a guy on, yeah. and that runner scored, mm-hmm. and that was it. Now, I'm not saying he pitched well, right. but, it, it, that part did. That guy scored, but also so did Kepler. The, 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 my point is, like, yes, at that I first at bat, that second at bat, it didn't. I'm, it backfired on them, and he Kikuchi wasn't sharp. But I thought that the post game, like from a Blue Jays perspective, I'm trying to phrase this correctly because you're right what you're saying. 
from a Blue Jays perspective, they I felt like treated it like he came in, walked the bases loaded, and gave up a grand slam. <laughs> yeah, well, where it yeah. was like that right. was a complete meltdown. No, right. But, but in reality, he just had sort of a right, not great outing. Right. But the point is, if, if he does that in the first inning, if he has exactly. in the first inning, nobody cares about it. That's right. But, but I that, guess that but is that's your the point. difference between right. a starter and a reliever. Right. I, I get a reliever, you can't. It can't be eight pitches in before you kind of find it. I agree. <laughs> you know and. Putting a starter in that position, yeah, that's a brilliant thing to do. You get the, you gain the velocity stuff. You've got a left-handed platoon advantage. You've got all these things going for you. But is Kikuchi used to coming in and having right. to be, having to throw no, I perform on on pitch one, pitch two, pitch three? Right, it's a little different. But really, deal. yes. But all I'm saying is, what he really did is he allowed the one runner he inherited to score, which right. happens thirty percent of the time, and then he allowed one run to score. Right. Yeah, right. But yes, right. you're. But and here's also what I thought. And again, I'm reacting to being in their press conference. I want to see. I want to hear what the, about this. Yeah. I sh- so, yeah, I'll talk. But, but the last thing on that, and then I'll talk about what the questions were because it was interesting. Because um, there was a lot of uh, Toronto media, like radio, TV, yeah. well, multiple market, beat writers. Man. Yeah, I mean, it was it was interesting. <laughs> right. um, our athletic uh, writer Caitlin McGrath was here. Uh, she's very good. And but the other thing I'll say is that, and we talked about this at the beginning. Which is well? What did the Blue? Jays, how did the Blue Jays really lose this series? The Blue Jays allowed five runs in two games, right? And in the yeah. series losing loss, they allowed two runs yeah. to the Twins on the road. Yeah, you should win that game. They we, really lost because they didn't hit, obviously, right. and because the Twins pitched their ass off. Right now, and even then, they actually did get hits. They just didn't get the big right. hits, yeah. which has been their right. problem all season. Yeah. Runners in scoring position, yeah. and so that's part of what I thought was interesting because. So much of the focus, and I'm sure every newspaper column, every radio station in Toronto that's talking about this game is going to be focused on pulling Barrios, Kikuchi coming in, and all the scenarios we just talked about, and your point of he wasn't sharp, and when you're not sharp in that spot, it, it costs you. Right. But they lost two to nothing. Yeah. yeah. Why is that the you know like why is huh? that the overwhelming? I mean, this this focus? was the conversation we had in 2020, right? Where we were it like, yeah, very people, familiar, people, yeah, yeah, people were blaming the pitching, and we're like, yeah, the, the offense scored one run in two games, yes. which is what the Blue Jays just did. Yes. Now you know, there's always you know, it, like I like to say, multiple things can be true, right? But when you get they, shut they out, not only didn't hit with runners in scoring position, they also didn't just have like a two run home run sometime. Yeah, right. Which is another thing that we've talked a lot about. Like sometimes that yes. people people are like, "Oh, you don't want to just be a home run hitting team in the postseason." Well, sure you do. They, the first the, the yeah. first the first game they won because they were a home running home run hitting but team. But I, in the I just thought it was fascinating that the overwhelming majority of questions and criticism and and all that stuff after a game in which they got shut out, right. there was no way for them to win that game, <laughs> no matter the pitching. Right. And for whatever you think about the Barrios removal and Kikuchi coming in and the way they handled the bullpen. Because they did a lot of maneuvering in the first game, too. Yeah. Their bullpen, by the way, gave up no runs. Right. So Kikuchi is a starter. In a way, I <laughs> don't Gelsman think... Gelsman and Kikuchi. Yes. I don't, I don't think... Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> right. I, I don't think that decision, the Barrios removal, went well for them or was, like, ideal. But ultimately, when you allow three runs in game one and two runs in game two... You managed from a pitching perspective pretty well, and their bullpen moves for the most part were good because he was aggressive with the bullpen. And so that's what was fascinating to me, not to say that was a good move or even to say it wasn't a bad move, but just like I I felt I was sitting in the back and I'm like, boy, this is something I would be ranting about if this were shoe on the other foot. And I'd be saying, they got shut out. What are we talking about here? But so just the uh, 
Schneider, I think that's how you say his name, John Schneider, um, manager of the Blue manager Jays. of the Blue Jays. This is his second year. They were also swept out last year, and so many of the questions were about Barrios and a lot of the themes of the questions beyond just the questioning of why'd you do that. And he said, he essentially said that was our plan. Right. We felt like we wanted to flip the lineup. We wanted to play the matchups. We wanted all the things we just talked about. Right. But I thought there were a couple of good questions, which basically said to him, was it, was there a level of excellence or raw stuff or just sharpness that Barrios could have displayed to change your plan? Right. Like if Brios had just how much better could he have been? Right, <laughs> it was because basically a question. Right, I mean, he was pretty close to the top of the scale there. Yes, and Schneider basically said no, and as it as it unraveled more and more from a, and he got asked eight nine questions about this, and this is me reading between the lines because he certainly did not explicitly say this. I feel he didn't make that decision. I feel that the same thing people I would say misguidedly have accused the twins of being which is deciding before a game how the pitching moves are going to work out right. and the front office dictating to the manager and the pitching coach how the pitching moves are going to work out. I don't think that's – if it happens with the Twins, I think it's very rarely. But I could not shake the sense as I'm listening to him explain it because he basically said – he literally said, this is the best Jose's looked since I've managed him. He was phenomenal. He was mowing them down. Right. And the questions were then like, and so why did, did we you pull him? Right. He was basically like five strikeouts and three innings, forty-seven right. pitches. He right. was basically yeah, like, right. this was our plan. We planned to use the whole bullpen. We wanted that matchup, and on and on. And I kind of, in the sense, like, and we, you know, we thought this was going to be their plan. So I guess right. in that sense, the idea that they pre-planned that and the front right. office was involved and dictated to him. Well, yeah, we thought that was what they were going to do in the first place. So that's not like a shocker to me, unless you just hate analytics and all right, this stuff. Yes. But it's it was a, it's an interesting. Here's the thing: if he if he does do that, right? He's pro- if he doesn't if he d- stays with Barrios, yes, and it doesn't go well, well, well then he's on an island. Well, that's true. Too, <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Like, well, <laughs> and this is something we talked about a lot last year with the quote unquote quick hooks for starters. And then the bullpen would implode for the twins. I'm talking about. They would take Archer out or or Hap or not Hap uh, Bundy, yeah. and you know Smelter or even Sonny Gray, and then inevitably Pagan or another uh, you know Cotton or whoever would implode, and right. everyone would go, yes, right. "Well, good job taking the starter out. They could have done that." <laughs> and the point I tried to make was, yes, they could have done that. <laughs> I was going to say, and yep, yep. we've, I mean, God knows, Twins fans know more than anybody right. that Jose Barrios is quite capable of looking phenomenal. For three innings, right, and then not making it through the fifth inning, right. Second time through the lineup, especially third time through the lineup, and we've seen this in playoff starts from yeah. him, literally. Yeah, yeah. Uh, where you go, man, Jose is cruising, and yes. then ten minutes later you go, well, shit, he's out of the game. Yeah, that's right. He yeah. gave up three doubles. Yeah. He walked two guys, and and so I think. Well, I mean, we almost saw it yesterday with Sonny Gray. Well, true. You know what I, mean? Like, I mean, it's true of all pitchers, right? All pitchers, but I think Barrios right. especially. He, yes. And so again, I'm not trying to take them off the hook for the decision, but. I think it's when you know that what they decided to do went poorly, right. there's a tendency to then go, well, if they would have done the opposite, if yeah. they would have just let Barrio stay in there, surely he would have thrown seven shutout. Well, yeah. no, there's a 20% chance that it would have gone even worse yeah. if Barrio right. stayed in. I mean, you don't know. Yeah. But that was, a, to me, a fascinating decision, yes. especially with the ex-twin Barrios factor. Right. And then afterward, there were a couple good pictures of this that the photogs at the game took. But 
he stayed in their dugout to watch the Twins' whole celebration, Barrios did, yeah. even though he had been removed yeah. two hours earlier. And he just stayed on the top step, kind of head in, in, you know, uh, chin on his, on his palm. It makes me say It did make me say Because, <laughs> I mean, you can say a lot about Jose Barrios. He didn't always come up the biggest in the biggest moments. Some of these flaws that we're talking about were, yeah. were frustrating right. to watch. Right. But Jose Barrios over a 10 or 15 year stretch was the best twins pitcher they developed. Right, yes. He was an all-star caliber pitcher for most of his career with the twins. Yep. And also you will never hear anyone say a bad word right. about Jose Barrios yeah. in terms of like work ethic and just who as a person, as a, as a family man, yeah. all that stuff. He's a very good he's, dude. He's also a teammate of a bunch of those guys celebrating right. on the field. Yes. I mean, he loves, he's, he's watching, a lot of those he's guys. watching Polanco. Yeah. He's exactly. watching Kepler. Like I did feel, yeah. I mean, I did feel for him in that spot, but uh, not, not that much, you know what I mean. I felt for him, you were still you were still feeling pretty good about it. Like I, I'd have given him a pat on the yeah. ass, but I wouldn't have given him a hug. You know what I mean? Like what? I'd have given him a hug. Again, if you want to hear more deep dive discussions like that, patreon.com slash Gleeman. We would love to have you join us for this. It's just a buck of time, no ads. Like we're about to have right now. <laughs> yeah. uh, <laughs> uh, one of the one of the things that I've been watching is uh, we've downloaded this app called Odds R O D D S R, and um, the letter down- R. Yeah. <laughs> just just O D D S letter R. R yeah. Letter R. Right. And um, it's been fun watching. It's an interesting. It's a betting app, but it's not an app in which you bet using the app. It's, it's just trying to give you, you advice with analysis and research and right. sort of the tools to come up with. The best plays yeah. possible. It, it uses AI and machine learning to suggest sports bets to you, and basically, you, it it calls up. You know, all you can look at all of the games, and it says, you know, of these things, this is the green one. That's the one that we the best value bet, etc. It's been really good on some of, a lot of the NFL and college betting stuff I've seen uh, last night. Uh, in fact, it picked. It said one of the green value bets was to take the Bears to win. Uh, which was like plus two fifty or something like, like that, four hundred days <laughs> yeah, or something like that. Right, yeah. yeah, that's uh, a pretty good outright. Pick. <laughs> that's right. yeah. So that was a pretty good call. Out. You can find odds are as an app in the App Store or Go- or Google Play. You can get a two week uh, free trial. That's right. And then it's just ten bucks a month after that. Uh, basically, th- the casinos and sportsbook they want you to bet a lot. And odds are, thing is, we want you to actually win your bet. You know what? They've actually upped it now. Now, for Gleaming the Geek listeners, you can get a 30-day free trial. So we got a special link for you to just go straight to the download. Just for Gleaming the Geek listeners, download the app at oddsr.com, oddsr.com, slash Gleaman, and you'll get 30 days 30. free on that app. That's right. So again, odds. Oddsr.com slash game and get 30 days free. I think you're like, I think you're going to, I think it's a fun thing to kind of Odds follow. Oddsr.com yeah. slash right. And then our last sponsor, uh, Game Time App. You are probably, uh, I guess, tickets for the Twins game, uh, Wednesday's game are going to, it, it gets a little tricky trying to find tickets to these games because they don't always know when they're going to have games. True. <laughs> right? Like Tuesday's game, But Wednesday's the Game Time game. app specializes in hard-to-find tickets, which obviously playoff games qualify, <laughs> yeah. and then last-minute tickets, right. which is you're not which thinking six months exactly in advance. Right. It's, oh, there's a game tomorrow. I want right. to go. Yeah. That's literally their specialty. That's their entire you know sort of catchphrase. <laughs> That's right. And again, it's an app. It's not a, a, a website. So you need to download the Game Time app, and then you use the code Gleeman, 
And on top of all of that, you're going to get 20 bucks off your first purchase. I cannot tell you how many people approached me prior True. to say, what was that uh, What was that app you I said had, again? I had multiple people walked by the press box and say, hey, I got in. I got the game time. I, used, I bought the ticket on the way here. That's right. John's thing is, he's done it many times. He's sitting, let's say, at Bricksworth. At Bricksworth. And he goes, okay, I'm going to get off my stool here, having eaten this pizza and had 400 beers. I'm going to make the you know five-block walk to Target Field. Right. And you can buy the tickets on the app. Just roll into the that, gate, show exactly them your phone, yep. and get right in. Yeah. Download the GameTime app, create an account, and use the code Gleeman for 20 bucks off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code, spell out Gleeman, G-L-E-E-M-A-N, for 20 bucks off. Download GameTime today. Last-minute tickets, lowest prices guaranteed. Okay. So Let's talk Astros. Let's give you let's all, talk Astros. all the stuff that we that you missed on the Monday Patreon about the Blue Jays, we're going to give you for the Astros. I'm going to try right to hit some of the points, like you said, on the Blue Jays. I'm very proud that we nailed some of the – it wasn't so yeah. much predicting, but it was trying to predict – This is a very different Their decision-making yeah. and their roster choices. And I feel I feel proud that we did a pretty good job on that. Now, the pressure's on oh, oh. to do a good job on the Astros. <laughs> I want to give one counterpoint to so your introduction to this you know, okay. uh, half an hour ago, which was, yeah, this team um, – seems to know how to turn it on when they need to turn it on. I think when you take a look at this team, you also understand why there are some cracks in the armor. It's a top-heavy team. Yes, their uh, depth it, has it, been eroding. Their, their depth has been eroding more and more. They still have a lot. You're going to watch these games, and if you've watched any playoff baseball at all, you're going to recognize a bunch of those names and go, oh, no, not that right. guy. Verlander's a good example, right? But they get beyond like the top, top couple top pitchers. They get along sort of the beyond those first – Four batters? And they become a little bit more vulnerable yes. in terms I of mean, a team. They've lost some guys to free agency. They've lost some guys to old age. They've right. lost some pitching to injuries during the season. Right. And, I mean, it's just this is what causes dynasties to end, which right. is the guys get older, and they have replaced them with some right. really good yes. players, Kyle right. Tucker, yes. Alvarez, and all that. But you can't always do that. I mean, there's right. not a constant stream of 22-year-old superstars yes. to add to this thing. And so – it's the same thing that happens to a lot of dynastic teams, which is the core remains roughly as good, although they have a few more weaknesses. And, and they've held on to a lot of their core. Because, yes, right. they've spent to help the, the one they really lost was Korea. Korea. Yeah, right. Well, they lost Verlander. Well, that's true, too. They came yeah, back. That's, right. that's true. Um, yeah. But the thing that tends to undo dynasties is aging, injuries, but then more than that, the, the middle of the roster just loses something because there isn't as – the pipeline of young talent maybe dries up a little bit, yeah. or you're spending so much money to retain these superstar World yeah. Series winning guys, and that's certainly the some case. Some of whom are Astros. getting older. Some of whom are getting older right. that you just don't have ten million to spend on so and so. And the Astros, interestingly, uh, well, first of all, they fired their general manager, um, who replaced Jeff Luno, James Click, who was from the Rays, took over for Jeff Luno, who was fired after the cheating scandal. Right. Then they win a World Series and they just let his contract expire and replaced him with Dana Brown, who was the, I think, scouting director for the Atlanta Braves. There's been a lot of upheaval, upheaval behind the scenes with the Astros yes. decision making. And that, I think, has also played a part because some of their decisions haven't worked out as well as some of their past decisions. For instance, they spent $60 million to bring in Jose Abreu. Abreu yep. Um, MVP winner, first base slugging, first yeah. baseman. Twins, Twins fans, fans have seen a lot of them. Twins fans who have not seen Jose Abreu this year are going to be like, oh, no. Right. You added him to that lineup. Right. But I think he hit 235 with like a 675 OPS. Yes. Now, I will say, and he's getting up there in age, too. He's in his right. mid-36. 36. 
I will say this. He had a much better August and September. Yeah. He showed some signs. Well, so the whole Astros did. Right. I mean, in the same, one of the more, you know, there's a lot of parallels between the Twins and the Astros, but one of them is uh, how much their offense changed literally the middle of the year, in part because they got some people back from injuries right. like Altuve, right? It, going into the All-Star break, the Twins ranked ranked ninth overall in OPS in the American League, and the Astros ranked seventh overall right. in OPS in the American League. In the second both, yeah. in the second half of the season, the Twins ranked second. They went from ninth to second. The Astros went from seventh to first. Yes, they OPS. were the only team that right. hit better than the Twins <laughs> in the second half. Right. They finished the season third in the American League in both runs scored and OPS. Yeah. Um, yeah. I'm not saying this is a vulnerable team. I'm just saying they're not. You can sort of understand why they didn't win 98 games right. instead of just 90 games. That's and right. I, do, I think part of it is perhaps lack of interest. You know, that might be part. Of, you know, part of it, uh, which you kind I mean, of re- referenced a little bit earlier. See but that, like Golden State Warriors, who are certainly right. part of a dynasty now in the NBA, they've talked about that before. Which is like it, it's hard to get fully hyped up for the 42nd game of an 82-game right. season when you know we're going to get to the playoffs, nobody's going to want to play us in the playoffs, right. and we're going to get plenty hyped up when the bell rings right. for the playoffs. Now, it's a little different in baseball because you can't let that many games just sort right. of wash by you as the Astros found out. Right. Otherwise, you got to put pedal to the metal and leapfrog over the right. Rangers. But guess what? They did that. That's exactly they what got they to 90 yeah. wins, right. and there's no shame in winning 90 games. I mean, it's right. more than the Twins won. And they were in a much tougher, much tougher division, right. obviously. But there's just some cracks in the armor, some dents in the armor here. I think you look at the lineup, and you know, Jordan Alvarez is, if not the best hitter in the American League, because that's probably Otani, certainly a top five hitter in all of baseball for the past five years. I mean, he is just a middle right. of the order, just whatever you think of as just a left-handed slugging monster hitter, right. just a guy who hits for average. He draws a ton of walks. He doesn't strike out a crazy amount, and he has just massive home run power. And, I mean, he is just as scary as you can possibly get. He's also one of their <laughs> younger guys. He's still yes. right in the middle of his prime. This, this whole lineup is younger than I thought it was. Well, I mean, you have Altuve who's 33. You have yes. Bregman, who I think is just about to turn 30. I think, yeah, but Tucker and Alvarez yeah. have really yeah. extended their window of being a dynasty because right. you know Tucker was immediately good, basically. Alvarez was not only immediately good, but immediately one of the great hitters in the American League, and they're both just right in the middle of their primes, and that's what makes it scary. You look at this lineup, there are a bunch of names that you're going to recognize, but the real core of this lineup now is the trio of Alvarez from the left side, uh, uh, well, Alvarez and Tucker, who are your younger guys and left-handed bats against the Twins' righty starters, uh, and then Altuve, who is you know a Hall of Famer. I mean, right. he's been yep. one of the best hitters in baseball now for almost his entire career. He's had massive big hits. Used to be Correa's double play partner. I mean, that's the that's the trio. And if you go look at their numbers, I mean, they're all played at you know near MVP levels this season. They missed some time, uh, Altuve and, and Alvarez. Then you get into like the secondary guys, you know, Alex Bregman, who used to be at an MVP level, I think might have even been runner up for an MVP. He's lost some power, but he still is a guy who draws a ton of walks. He plays good defense at third base. He's certainly not a guy you want to face in big spots just because he, like many of the guys on this team, have a lengthy history of clutch hitting right. in October. Um, and then a more recent addition who's really made a, a big jolt for their lineup is Chaz McCormick who's a center fielder, has a lot of opposite field power as a right-handed hitter. He's hurt the Twins uh, on occasion that people probably remember. The One of the other interesting storylines is, so they let Correa leave, obviously, 
And last year, they replaced him with a rookie shortstop named Jeremy Pena. And he won, what did he win? World Series MVP or ALCS MVP? Uh, One of those two. Yeah, I don't remember. And had a great October and a very good rookie season. But he's kind of and subbing for Correa to the point that people were like, hey, who needed Correa? And, you know, guess what? They won the World Series right. without Correa. Yes, exactly. Who needed Correa? Yes, um, but he's taken, a, I think, a step back this year. 95 OPS plus. Uh, he's still a very good player, potentially. But he's like a lot of guys on this team where you go, well, the regular season was was more up and down or, or more middling than you might have expected. With that said, we know he's turned it on in October before. He certainly has 20 homer power. And then the here's what I'd say is to me, beyond all those guys we talked about, the the biggest kind of question mark in this series is Michael Brantley, who Twins fans probably remember from his days with, yes. with Cleveland. Yeah. One of the smoothest swinging left-handed hitters right. you will see. You know, a perennial 290, 300 or above type of guy. Controls the strike zone, lines through eyes all over, has 15, 20 homer power. He's signed with the Astros a few years back, and he's had a great run with the Astros, but he's had a lot of injuries. Yes. He's only played 15 games this season. Yep. He had shoulder surgery. Yep. And came back end of August, right? After a year out, basically. Yes, right? basically. This, this wasn't just season. a small shoulder yes. surgery. This was a big shoulder. And he's surgery. up there right. in age too. He's yes. in his mid thirties, I'm sure. And I read uh, the athletic beat writer for the Astros yeah. is Chandler Rome, who's a great writer. Um, and I read today uh, he had a thing about Brantley, and Brantley's going to be on the roster, but there's definitely some questions about how much can he play, yes. how much will he play, he and then he, how effective yeah, will after he After coming back from uh, the shoulder surgery end of August, after a rehab assignment and everything else, he missed like 10 games in the middle of September right. with the shoulder surgery. There's he was only questions. back. He came back on August 29th. Right. right. And they have a lot of guys that, you know, including Alvarez, that you would like to slot in at DH, but right. similar to how the Twins found this out yeah. when Buxton was at DH, there's only room for right. one guy at DH, so you're going to have to make some tough choices in that lineup. Uh, when Brantley has been in the lineup, he's been really good, and he's another one of those left-handed, left-handed hitters left-handed hitters, that right? can be problematic. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, you look at the names: Alvarez, Altuve, Tucker, Bregman, Pena, Brantley, Jose Abreu. Right. Right. That is as scary a, a bunch of names that you're going to ever put together in a 2023 lineup, but. There's been some injuries. There's been some age. There's been some steps backwards, even from young guys. There's been some, you know, good but not great regular season performances right. in there. The question, as always, with the Astros, as it was in 2020, how much does that matter versus how much does it just matter that they say to themselves, right. Okay. "Oh, it's playoff time now. Who yep. gives a crap out of all that? Yep. We're still who we are. We know we can make a run here. We can look around this clubhouse and at this lineup and say." All right, we're ready to go make somebody's life miserable now. Right, yes. <laughs> uh, and so that's really the challenge that the Twins have. The one other note I would like to say about their lineup is about defense. I think they're a fine defensive team. I don't think they're a great defensive team. I don't think there are a whole lot of like, oh, hit the ball to him. He's a disaster. Right. Uh, but the one interest, the most interesting spot for them, in my mind, defensively, is catcher. So they have a guy in Martin Maldonado who has been their catcher now for a few years was before that uh what was he with the Angels I think right 36 years old yeah he hits 190 every year he's got a little bit of pop I think he had 15 homers this year but he's been one of the you know worst hitting regulars in baseball for basically his entire career and yet he's gained this incredible reputation as a World Series winning catcher right. because of his defense and for many many years including last year uh, he had incredible framing, pitch framing numbers because the Astros 
certainly up until a couple of years ago, yeah. were probably the most analytic-driven organization yeah. outside of the Rays in all of baseball. So he was an exceptional pitch framer. He stole strikes. He maximized. You know, so good defensively that he regularly was starting over guys much better yes. in his offense than on yes. his, and offensively. Right. Even he, in the playoffs, by the way, in the postseason. He started over yes. Christian Vasquez. Yes, he did. Yes. Last year. Yes. Even after they traded for Vasquez. Because right. Dusty Baker was like, no, I'm going to ride with Martin Maldonado. Then, in addition to the great framing numbers and also just a good reputation as a pitch caller, in addition to a pitch framer, because um, think of those Astros teams. We talked about right. the lineup, but those Astros teams could pitch the hell out of the right. ball, too. Of course. And still can to some extent. He was also a great catch and throw guy, and he really shut down the running game. They called him the machete uh, because he cut down runners. And all of a sudden now, this season, and this does happen to catchers. There's been a lot of studies on pitch framing, especially that when it goes, it goes very quickly. Hmm. I remember Jonathan Lucroy for years was a great yeah, yeah, pitch yeah, framer right. for yeah. the Brewers. And the Brewers then yeah. All of a sudden, he became not only mediocre, one of the worst a in liability. the league, <laughs> because so much of pitch framing is about physical flexibility hmm. and hand-eye coordination and reaction time. And that's Making what goes smooth, yeah. from 35 to 36 or 33 to 30. When it goes, it goes fast. Right. And so if you look at Martin Maldonado... This year, statistically at least, horrible throw out numbers. He went a month without throwing out a – they gave up 34 consecutive stolen bases in September before he finally threw out a guy. I think he threw out in the teens 15 18% all season, which is very bad. And then his pitch framing numbers completely cratered. He went from one of the best in the league, you know, plus 10, plus 20 runs to negative 10, negative 15 runs. And so that is something to watch, not so much the pitch framing because guess what? He's going to start, I would say, four of these five games, might start all five. Right, yes. Um, and they have a young backup catcher who popped 20 homers that they've been trying to play at first base in DH, but he's not going to play at catcher because there's such yeah. faith in Martin Maldonado yep. behind the plate. And so the Twins aren't in great position to test someone in the running game in the early innings, I would say. Now, maybe you see someone like Kepler or Polanco. Yeah, Polanco stole a base in game two. Right. right? Yeah. They, that's the guys who you're going to see in the early innings to maybe put this to the test. But Royce Lewis obviously isn't going to be running. <laughs> no. He's one of the guys. So he can barely make <laughs> right. it to first base with right. the bad hamstring. But where you might see it come into play is that Willie Castro and if Andrew Stevenson's on the roster, which right now is in flux, right. but Willie Castro especially can be inserted as a pinch runner and can just put Martin Maldonado to the test. We're going to find out if – the numbers this year are more representative of 36-year-old Martin Maldonado than his great defensive track record. I'll add a little something more about the lineup. So the, generally, uh, generally, um, pretty much all year, the way it, or second half of the year, the way that lineup has gone is two right-handed hitters, then two left-handed hitters. Right, you start out with Altuve and Bregman, then it goes on to. Um, Who's batting third? Alvarez. Uh, yeah, Alvarez batting third, and then Tucker batting fourth. Yeah. Right, and Tucker, I think, led the league in RBI. Yeah, he's really good, but that's who he's batting behind. You would take a look at that and you'd say, well, maybe there's an opportunity to play matchups. And we talked a little bit the last on the last Patreon about what the one of the roster decisions the Twins are going to have to be making is whether or not Thunderbird makes the roster. We're almost sure he want, will be in part because they've got these two good left-handed hitters. Right, as a second lefty along with Caleb Thielbar right. in the bullpen. Now, I will just say this about it, and, and you know. Rocco likes to play his matchups. He likes, especially likes to play matchups out of the bullpen if he's got the if he's got the options there. But you take a look at the uh, left-handed splits amongst this team. Uh, it's a it's we talk a lot about how left-handed hitters just plain have more trouble with left-handed pitchers. 
boy, that's not clear with Alvarez or Tucker well, at all. But what you we know? really talk about is the fact that it's not so much that individual left-handed hitters struggle against right. – le- it's that all left-handed hitters are worse against left-handed right. pitchers. Yeah. But there are some – and so what that means is if you're just a good but not great left-handed hitter, right. there are often times when a random right-handed hitter right. is going to be a better option. Right. But when you're talking about Alvarez – Elite left-handed hitters, right. The, one of the best left-handed hitters of the past decade, and even Tucker is certainly a top 10 left-handed hitter. Well, yeah, even being less effective right. – Still makes them right. monsters. I was, I was, I took a, I did just, I used stat head and I took a look at the, how they, how the Astros have done versus left-handed pitching this year. And like two of the top five guys were Alvarez and, and Tucker versus left-handed well, pitchers. Yeah, you're right? also talking about right. seventy-five. Yeah. So then, so then I said, ah, that's got to be a little bit of a, of what? Let's take a look at the last three years. Yeah. Where we got, let's see, five hundred and seven ninety-five at bats for Alvarez, yep, six hundred and sixty-three for Tucker. So that's basically one full season of normal playing. Guess what Alvarez's OPS is versus left-handed hitters over those three years? Left-handed pitchers. Left-handed uh, pitchers. Nine oh five. Nine twenty-two. Yeah. yeah. And uh, Tucker is eight fifty-nine. Right. Now that is a little bit lower than they've done versus right-handers, but. Yeah. Right-handers were 978 versus 922, like right. so 50, point, 50 point OPS. 50, 70 point, five points. Well, <laughs> right. But that's, that's right. normal. Yeah. But the difference is if you take a guy right. with an 800 OPS right. yes. and you lo- lose 75 points, sure. yeah, that's a 700 OPS no, that's, It's fair. Right. You're taking a 1,000 OPS yeah. and turning it into a 900 OPS, yeah. and guess what? Right. That's still scary. I mean, between Altuve, Bregman hasn't had that great of a year, but, and, and, but Altuve and Alvarez and Tucker are so dangerous yep. in those top four positions. I agree completely. Then after that comes Abreu, who's you know not been anywhere near what Houston wanted him to but be. Again, right? as a history, as a monster. Right. That's yes. right. Exactly right. And then you know maybe Brantley kind of makes it in there. Brantley, by the way, different story on the left hand versus right hand. He is definitely susceptible versus left hand. Now he's also the three year average. I'm not sure how much it counts because he missed a whole year right. somewhere in that three year average. Well, right. He's human. He's, <laughs> right. not, he's a really good left hand hitter. <laughs> right. But that's kind of our point. Is right. A really good left hand hitter is benchable against lefties. A great left hand hitter can still be a huge force. And that you're right, right that they're and I mean, this is one of the things that has helped extend it, it, this it, dynasty. It's not like you could just play matchups versus that right. number three and number four. They're largely go, matchup. We're going to neuter their number three and number four hitter by bringing in a left-handed pitcher. No, you just need really good pitchers versus yes. them. It doesn't really matter what hand it is. It, it, yes, and I mean, I would not that Cody Funderburk, if he makes the roster, can't be deployed uh, in those spots because right. look. All the stats you want, if you just say to me, sight unseen, do you want a righty or a lefty to face Alvarez and Tucker? Well, yeah, I'm going to take the lefty over the righty. But the question with the three-batter rule is what is kind of the toll you have to pay to cross that bridge? Which is – and that's how – remember when the Twins had Maurer and Morneau, they would insert, let's say, Kadair in the middle. And he was the toll you paid if you were a lefty to face those guys. Now, unfortunately, the toll is very expensive to face those. Whether (laughs) you're Theobar or Funderburg. Yeah, first of all, you don't get that much of an advantage anyway. And then on top of it, you've got Abreu following him and Bregman in front of him. So So either way – Their lineup is how Baldelli would dream about building a lineup, which is Baldelli – and I've talked to him about this. He loves alternating lefties and righties. And he loves having switch hitters like Polanco in there to to aid that. And, or Castro. Yes, or Castro. <laughs> and there there are some circumstances, even this year, but in past years for sure, where you look at the Twins lineup and you go, well, that guy's batting sixth ahead of this guy who's batting eighth. And you go, yeah, but oh. they didn't want to stack righties or stack lefties. That, they exactly wanted to right. make it yeah. more difficult for the opposing team to deploy their bullpen. Well, the Astros just do that sort of naturally because they have such a good right. assortment of great right-handed hitters and great left-handed hitters. Yeah. I mean, it is a gauntlet. It's maybe a slightly shorter gauntlet a, yeah, than it was right. in years past, but yes. it is still a gauntlet. That, that, for, that foursome at the top is yes. just absolutely fearsome. Uh, okay. Now let's finish up 
we'll talk about their pitching a little bit. We already talked, obviously, about Verlander, about Valdez. A little bit about Valdez, um, yeah. They were only I mean, seventh in runs allowed this year yeah. after you know a decade, basically, of being one of the top two or three uh, teams in runs allowed. It's because their middle of their rotation is not as strong. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's pretty much true. I think if you look... They were this only. Is would, this is why I'd rather have a seven-game series than a five-game series. Yeah, you make them right. And why I really didn't want a three-game series. I completely agree. <laughs> right. A, a five-game series with two travel days is maybe the worst possible of a thing. Yeah. yeah. Three, you get. Maybe you get lucky versus Valdez or versus Verlander or something. Then you've got right. an advantage in one of I those agree. games. Right. Completely. Yep. I mean, they could, if they want, start Verlander and Valdez four times in yeah. five games. That's maybe now you're getting possible. a lesser version of Verlander, Verlander the second time yeah. around, but I mean that's the reality of it. I think you look and so, like I said, they were seventh out of fifteen American League teams in runs allowed. Yeah. Um, they were only number five in strikeouts, and what's interesting to me is they were eleventh in they had the eleventh worst walk rate, which means they handed out a lot of walks, right. and that's despite the fact that. Verlander doesn't walk anybody at this stage of his career. Like right. many Hall of Famers, as they're 35, 40 years old, they just throw strikes. Right. He's walk like 1.6 per nine or something. And Valdez, for the most part, throws strikes. And yet, despite those two guys being their, their two best starters, obviously, they were still bottom five in the league in yeah. walks. And yeah. so that tells you that the bullpen is yeah. susceptible to walks. And it also tells you the, the, the middle of their rotation that the Twins are going to face in at least game three yeah. and maybe game four is you know just a lesser caliber uh more walks they they get into more trouble you can grind them out a little bit more well, who do you think you do you get a sense of who you think the three and four are going to be if there's a four well I, yeah I mean, <laughs> if it it depends how it plays out i mean i i do think there's a very real chance it's verlander on short rest i think so too um especially if they're down to one right right uh i think it sounds like so it's definitely going to be verlander in game one it's going to be framber valdez in game two they have not announced three or four, right. or three, but four, or five yet. I believe, and I think the Twins <sighs> believe this, that it's going to be Christian Hunter. Javier in game have, three. Okay. Who maybe Hunter Brown in four. In past years, to. Christian Javier has been great. Yes. But this year he's got like a 465 ERA. Yeah, both he and Hunter Brown, who's the other option. I, th- I think the other realistic option. I don't uh, think it's going to be Hunter you, Brown. You know, uh, it's gonna they, be, they've, they've also been just giving up a lot of home runs. Yes, a lot that, of home runs. That's been the problem. With too many the walks and yeah. too many homers allowed for the, right. the middle and the bullpen guys. Yeah. I think it, it will definitely be Javier in game three. Now, again, what that start looks like, like is it going to be they're trying to get six right. innings out of them yeah, or get yeah, four yeah. innings right. out of yeah, them or, or three innings out of them? That I can't promise, right. but I think it will be Javier in game three. I think it game four could be an all-hands-on-deck situation. It could be Verlander on short rest. I think if it's a more traditional start, it could be Hunter Brown, but he had a pretty rough stretch yes. after yep. a good start to yep. the season. Uh, Jose Urquidy, who the Twins faced in the 2020 right. yep. playoffs, yep. could be a guy to start for them. And they also have a 28-year-old rookie named J.P. France, who I think could potentially start that for them. But, you know, you're listening to these names, and if you're saying, who? Yeah. Well, that kind of oh, tells you what their plan might be in game We four. should also say this. this is something we talked a lot about with the Blue Jays. Uh, there ain't a lot of lefties. Uh, Framer Valdez is the lefty. That I think and is, not only do they not have a lot of lefties in the rotation like that they can use as like a mid, mid-inning mid option like they did with right. – uh, like they tried to do with Kikuchi, but they also don't have a, hardly any lefties in the bullpen. I mean, it's possible – they haven't said what their playoff roster is. But So I looked this up. 
Valdez is a great lefty. Right, right. And the Twins... Exactly who you don't want to face. Are almost surely, right. no matter what happens with Verlander, you're going to face Valdez in Game 2 and Valdez at some point in Game 5. Yes. That's Potentially, what you're going to yes, face. Now, yeah. he might be in the bullpen in Game 5, in which case, for Game 5, the things I'm about to say are irrelevant because he's going to be their lefty <laughs> right, in the yes. bullpen. Or he could start Game we'll 5. We'll talk about Game 5 next Friday. Yes. We'll, we'll, talk about, we'll cross that bridge when yeah. we get there. Yeah, yeah, we'll see. Because, uh, yeah. I mean... But, but I mean, if there's a chance that it's Verlander followed by by uh, Valdez in, in game, game five, five. Right. yeah, or right. Verlander right. followed game by four. Valdez game, game four, five, and yeah. Game but five. Valdez would be on full games full rest if he yes. starts game five. Other than Valdez, they only got 27 innings all season from left-handed pitchers <laughs> uh, all season. That's the entire season. And there's a real possibility that whatever their playoff roster is, there is literally isn't a left-handed yeah. in their bullpen. There's right. a possibility, most likely, I think there will be one, but it's not going to yeah. be a there's guy... A, there's a chance the only left-hander on the entire roster is Valdez. Right. Yeah. And even right. if there are two, they decide to bring a lefty in the bullpen, because I think, you know, the Twins are very lefty. Sure, yeah, if right. there's a Twins, uh, uh, Astros version of this podcast, right. surely they are talking about the Twins lineup and <laughs> saying, wow, most of their guys are lefties. Right. I wish we had more lefties. So that could cause the Astros to just take whatever lefty they have right. out of the bullpen. But the, the truth of that is that shouldn't scare anyone because, right. first of all, is Dusty Baker actually going to deploy that guy in any right. kind of situation that matters when they haven't trusted any of their lefties at any point in anything that matters all season? And if he does decide to play to the Twins' weakness as opposed to their own strengths, I always think that is a possibility to go badly for any yes. team. Because then you're putting a lefty in a key spot in a playoff game, not because of their own talent levels, but because you think it plays the most – towards the other team's weakness, right. which, okay, I get that strategy, but the Twins should be licking their chops if they just bring in some random-ass lefty reliever who's thrown six and a third innings all season and would normally yes. not even appear in a playoff game. No. So those are good scenarios for the Twins. It means that uh, other than facing Valdez, which is game two, the right. game two lineup is going to look much different yeah. than all the other lineups we're going to see in this playoff. But like the Solanos and the Farmers and that type of thing. You don't necessarily need to worry too much about, oh, should we add Luplo to the roster? Should we add, right. yeah, yeah, or should we add Buxton? Other than facing Valdez. Right. Now, game two is going to be very important. One, win yes. or lose game one, game two all of a sudden has game a Game five of, might be too. <laughs> right. the They're all important <laughs> right. at this point. That's the beauty of but it. But here's the thing. That sounds great. I'm sure Twins fans are like, Hot damn. Like, they don't have any lefties to, to do. What year is this? The Twins fans. Hot damn. Yeah. <laughs> okay. But yeah, go on. We've been transported back. I don't even know what year that would be from. Hot damn. That's my southern Minnesota uh, descendancy coming through Yeah, maybe through it's more geographical than here. That's maybe, right. Hot damn. I'm going to start saying that down in Houston. See if that, maybe that's a Houston thing. Howdy, boys. Hot damn. I'm a, shall I wear a cowboy that's the hat? the bonus Austin, Austin bonuses coming through. Do you think I should get a cowboy hat while I'm down there? I'm serious. That's right. Do you think yeah, you I can should. pull off oh, a little, little spurs on my boots? Oh, for, for the, sure. For nice. Yes. And, this, and uh, I want pictures. Well, I mean, I'm assuming <laughs> the newspaper would cover just how handsome I look. <laughs> exactly. Just walking on the street. Howdy, ma'am. Just kind of no. I, th I think so uh, Twins yes, fans are going to hear uh, that the they're devoid of left-handed uh, left-handed relievers. They hot damn. Mm -hmm. And the other, the uh, here's the three biggest relievers the Twins are going to see. And here's how they did versus left-handed pitching versus regular pitching. Or left-handed batters versus regular okay. overall, yeah. right? Okay, Ryan Presley, their closer yeah. overall six twenty-three versus left-hand OPS against yeah. six twenty-three versus left-handers six forty-nine. Right. <laughs> okay. Not uh, much different. Brian Abreu five sixty OPS against overall six ten 
Versus, yeah. right. Not much different. Yeah. Uh, Hector Neris, 569 over uh, against everybody, 517 against left-handed pitching. Right. Like, no, they, d- don't, trio, don't be licking your lips thinking, oh, we got some, we got some matchup advantage. Well, you do. They're also just three really good relievers. Again. Right. It's similar, similar to the left-handed hitters in their lineup. Yes. However, <laughs> I agree. And that trio, especially uh, Abreu's got a sub-2 ERA, Neris has a sub-2 right. ERA, and then Presley's been a great reliever. He was a really good reliever with the Twins and has become a great right. reliever for the yes. Astros. Right. Those three are as good as any trio you're going to get in terms of yes. you know seventh, eighth, ninth inning. Yeah. But similar to when you looked at the Blue Jays and you go, well, yeah, you're facing a right-hander in Gaussman, right? But he's a really good right-hander, you're right? Yes, well, exactly yes, right. Yes. But most right. of the pitching you're going right. to face in this, you're exactly and so right. the preference isn't so much that oh, I want to face this guy because he's super vulnerable to left-handed pitchers because guys. It, a right-handed pitcher, especially a late-inning right-handed reliever, who's super vulnerable against left-handed pitchers, is not going to be not pitching seven, the eight 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 nine as much yeah, for a Houston fair. Astros team in the playoffs. That's fair. But you, these are the small edges, or at least the avoidance of bigger disadvantages right. that you can take. Which is, yes, these guys are really good relievers. I mean, the odds of twin the Twins coming back in this series are very low. Those are really good. Right. You know, if the Twins are down three run three runs entering the seventh. They're going to have to really pull off a miracle to, here to come back. But that miracle can at least be attempted with Kirloff with, and Julian yeah, and exactly. the Fair guys, enough. Walner, and I the mean, guys that you want. I just read the, the OPS against for those pitchers. If you read the OPS for those hitters that we just talked yes. about uh, versus everybody versus left-handed or versus right-handed, you think, well, hold it. Yeah, but Julian is a lot better versus you right. know right-handed uh, pitcher. Not, so. I think there's a lot of this in the playoffs, not just with the Twins, but it's not so much, especially once you get past the first round, you start getting into – you know, the final four in each uh, league and teams like the Astros who have been around the block many, many times, it's not so much that you're looking for weak spots. Right. It's not so much that you go, oh, this guy, I hope they use this guy. The Twins are going to knock the crap out of this guy. It's more that you're looking for spots that can allow your strengths to play out, that can allow you n- not to have to react. And so if they're bringing in Neris or Abreu up a couple of runs in the seventh inning, you should not feel good about that. The odds that you're going to lose 90% of the time in that scenario. But you can at least say, all right, we're going to give ourselves a fighting chance here without having to remove Julian for Farmer and without having right. to remove yes. Kirla. And that's not to say those are bad right. options. Right. But those are not the preferred options. This is right. their, their roster composition or their bullpen composition, I should say, at least allows the Twins to play their preferred options their preferred lineup they can stick with guys a little bit longer and look you're still going to need ed julian or matt walner or alex kirloff or whoever it is max kepler to come up big in big spots against good pitchers but i think your chances of that happening are higher than expecting kyle farmer to come off the bench and deliver a huge hit i look forward by the way to kyle farmer coming off the bench (laughs) delivering a huge hit and people pulling the audio of this clip and being like let me let me get two other things about that both of what i just thought of. The first is in game two, when you play Valdez, you can start with a pretty right-handed lineup versus Valdez. Midway, you know, as soon as he leaves, just flood it with left-handed hitters because you right. know that's what you're going to be hitting. You're going to be hit, facing right-handed pitching in the, right. for the they second can, half of that game. They have no ability to flip it twice. That's right. Like, it's not... you. Un, so you're going to start, I'm assuming, against Valdez right. with Solano and Farmer and those guys in there. You're going to probably have Castro in for yeah. one of the lefty outfielders. Then... Whenever he comes out, let's hope it's the third inning, but right. it could yeah. be the eighth <laughs> right. inning. Yeah, right, right. 
you can liberally then unload all the lefties, <laughs> exactly. get all the Julians and right. the Kirloffs and all, everybody else like that into the lineup because there's no looming hammer to be dropped from the left side exactly. in their bullpen. That's and so right. you can – you still need to manage and platoon and push buttons. But once you push the button one time, you don't have to worry about, oh, my God, are we going to get into a spot here right. where it's Ed Julian versus a great lefty with two on, two outs in the ninth inning yeah. because that scenario right. just doesn't exist for them. Let me give you one more. Versus the right-handed pitching, Verlander, for instance, in game one. Does Baldelli go against everything he's ever shown, every preference he's ever shown in terms of lineup building and go, we're just going to stack lefties. Right. We're, I mean, we're not, I mean, we're correct. We're, 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 right. we're, we're going to have all of our bat. We're going to have all of our right-handed batters at the bottom half of the lineup. We're going to have all our, yeah. maybe not bottom half, but you know, where you've got four, you know, instead of going right, left, right, left, right, left, you're going left, 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 right, left, right, left, right. You're, you're trying to get as many left-handed batters stacked together as but you I mean, can, both versus, you know, to face the right-handed starting pitcher, but also because you don't have to worry about it in the back end. But as well. I mean, they do that a little mostly bit. naturally. They, what are the well, right? They, they do have batters? a lot. They do have a lot of left-handed. The right-handed right. batters are the catcher spot. Yeah, which is right. probably going to be Jeffers. Yes, right. But even You're if it's right. Vasquez, it would be a righty. That's going to be. I mean, you can't change that. Right. Correa. Right. At shortstop. Yeah. Who's been Royce Lewis sixth. Royce Lewis, who you're not going to take out of the lineup, and then Taylor in center field. Yeah. Well, I'm not saying to take him out of the lineup. I'm just wondering if we're going to see him more stacked. Uh, I mean, I kind of did that versus Gaussman. Four of the first five batters versus Gaussman were all left. Right. I'm just yeah, saying they right. kind of yeah. do that yeah. naturally. Yeah, I mean, Polanco yep. changes that equation quite a bit. Yeah, as a switch he's hitter. got the switch hitting thing. Yeah, you're and right. So, yeah, I mean, realistically, yeah, four of the first five were left handed. Lefties against Gaussman. Yeah. Gaussman. This year, the only one who wasn't was Royce Lewis. Right. <laughs> so, I mean, I would expect who killed to see him. That. <laughs> yeah, maybe you see right. the version that had Walner Walner's ahead a of Jeffers. Up. Yes, right. But, yeah, you know, whatever. Right. We ought to stop. I, I was taught this by a driving instructor. Never say right yeah, when correct you correct. Versus, yeah, right. And so, I know I did it. I'm <laughs> I know too, you did. Sandy. But I could picture <laughs> Mr. Humphrey from junior high. We're going to fall into who's on first routine yeah, if we saying, don't do that. He just kept <laughs> yeah, you know, like, yeah, right. it's correct in a car. Correct. It's never yeah, right. But, <laughs> you wouldn't want to say left, would you? And I remember just being like, yeah, I'm sorry. Um, okay. Uh, Mr. Humphrey, you say? Yeah. Okay. He, used to, he used to call himself the Humpmeister. Did he really? Keep in mind. He was the gym teacher also. So. Yeah. That sounds like a very gym teacher kind of joke. Oh, he was. Yeah. Oh, I don't think it was a joke. It was a way of life for him, really. I think is what it was. Uh, mustache, a lot of shag carpet. carpet. Oh, I mean, you're not that far. I mean, this wasn't the 70s. It was the. Drove a Dodge you, Charger. I'm trying to remember what car. Well, we used like the car that was provided, I guess. I didn't get a glimpse at his gorgeous car or whatever. The Humpmeister. I had another driving instructor, but I don't remember. I just remember he looked like Dr. Phil. So you can also picture that in okay. your Okay. Yeah. Um, okay. So that is what you're facing in Houston. I think big picture, the Twins are certainly not favored in this series. I haven't actually looked. I'm, I'm uh, assuming they're a decent was, size. No, it, was, it wasn't bad. It was, um, uh, let's see, plus 150 for the Twins, yeah. minus 175 for okay. them. So basically I five mean, to three, three to five odds. I would say that's a normal yeah, underdog. About, uh, they, they're given, Vegas is basically giving them a 37 to 40% chance yeah. of winning. I yeah. think that's about right. I'd yep. say 60, 40, something like that yep. in this series. I think the key to this series is going to be, and we can finish with this, I suppose. The Twins haven't announced their game one starter. Um I suspect, just based on how they danced around it yesterday, that they are reconsidering Joe Ryan in that spot. Joe Ryan was going to start game three. Yeah, they, yeah, they haven't announced anybody, no. right? Uh, they'll announce it later today while I'm sure. in the air, probably going to Houston. Right. But 
Uh, it could be Joe Ryan, but the Twins are going to need. So they're going to start Lopez in Game Two and Game Five. They're going to start Sonny Gray in Game Three. Now you need a Game One starter and you need a Game Four starter. Now the Game One starter can be anybody. It could be Joe Ryan. It could be Billy Ober. It could be Kent Maeda. And to some extent, the Game Four starter could also be anybody. But it's going to depend on how the first three games play out right. in terms of usage. If you use Kent Maeda as a reliever twice in the first three games, well, he's definitely not going to start Game Four then. If you don't start Joe Ryan in game one and you keep him on the roster, despite that, I suspect then you're planning to start him in game four back home. That would mean you're trying to have him avoid Houston as an environment because he's a fly ball, home run, susceptible pitcher, and they hit a lot of home runs uh, in Houston. Same thing with Ober. If Ober's on the roster, which he wasn't in the first round, that will require the Twins to either drop Joe Ryan – and basically swap them or drop Funderburk, who we just talked right. about the potential use of Funderburk against their lefties, or go to 13 pitchers instead of 12 pitchers and drop most likely Andrew Stevenson as a pinch runner. Now, I would like to have Andrew Stevenson on the roster. I did too. I would think you want to make a, a kind of a tough decision between Ryan and Ober as opposed to Ryan or Ryan or Ober as opposed to Ryan and Ober, but that would then rely on Kent Maeda being something of a at least three or four inning option to start either game one or game four. And I'm, I'm again, they've been pretty cagey or tight lipped about what the plan is there. So it's possible they keep all of them, in which case you have 13 pitchers, you have Ober, Ryan, both on the roster. And that probably means Stevenson is off the roster as a pinch runner, in which case, you know, Willie Castro maybe gets held back in reserve a little bit to be your pinch runner as opposed to coming in like he did in the middle innings uh, as a pinch hitter or pinch uh, or as a defensive specialist. But that's kind of the roster decision that they're facing. Now, it could be Joe Ryan in game one. By the time you listen to yeah, this, right. they may we'll have already yeah. announced it. But I'm they don't not- have to announce their roster until tomorrow morning, right? No, but you're going to find out. Right. Here's the beauty of the media setup for the playoffs. The next day's starter, the next game's starter, talks to the media the day before. The day before. Oh, okay, so we'll find out today. So I'm not going to be there because I'm flying. Right. But as Dan and Doe and Phil and Betsy and Bobby sit in that room, somebody's walking up to that podium, and it's either, I think, going to be Joe Ryan or Bailey Ober. It could be Kent Maeda, and that's going to, f- you know, the dominoes are going to fall from that. Then you're going to be able to map out not only game one, because that guy will be out on the podium, but you know game two and game three, and then based on game one, you know if Ober starts game one and Joe Ryan is also on the playoff roster, then it's probably going to be Joe Ryan in game four. Sure. The opposite is true. If Joe yeah. Ryan tr- walks out there on the podium today as the game one starter and Bailey Ober is also on the playoff roster, it's probably going to be Bailey Ober in game four. Now, Kent Maeda is a complicating factor there, right. but I think yes. they more view him as like kind of a flex role in a little bit, which is like we can kind of get three innings from him however we need him, right. whether that's a start, whether that's a piggyback, whether that's just regular relief. Um, and so that's the – He'd be playing the Kikuchi role. Sort of. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. Hopefully a little better than yeah, that. Hopefully, yeah. uh, so that's the, the roster decision that the Twins are facing. Um, you know, a five-game series is just much different than a three-game series, and a seven-game series would be even more different, obviously, in terms of, you know, I, I was the first one to sit here previewing the first series and say – 12 pitches is ridiculous. And I would yes. argue we saw that. Right. I mean, five guys didn't even get used. And even if you'd play the third game, three guys probably weren't even going to get used in a three-game series. But in a five-game series, I don't think 
12 is ridiculous. I don't think 13 is needed, but I don't think it's like crazy to have 13. Yeah. I mean, having that. two off days like that. Right. It does feel like, that, you know, where the, the spot where you could maybe find room is like paddock or something. Like well, you, you don't need as many short relievers if you've got. Yeah, I do wonder you, about you, paddock. Maybe, maybe you keep like long relievers. You keep a couple long relievers around in case you need them, but you don't need six short relievers necessarily or seven short relievers. Right. right? And you here's know? the other, correct. And here's the other thing. Whoever starts off. game one is not going to be able to start game four, but they would potentially be available, available for game five, right? For sure, out of the bullpen in game five, and right. possibly for an inning or two out of the bullpen, even in game four, given the off day, because it would probably be their normal. Yeah, because you got Lopez starts. starting game two, which we're probably going to see. He's definitely he's probably in line to also start game five. Yes, He'd be starting he in a full game rest, right? But yeah, then you've got some whoever start game one. If you want to choose sort of a one-two punch with Lopez, and then having somebody else available, yes. maybe that's maybe that get breaks the tie on game yeah. one. So that's what the Twins so, are facing. Uh, once we know this already, uh, we will talk about it on the Patreon side. Yes, um, we will also have shows recapping each and every game. Uh, in this Houston series, I'll be live from Houston. John will be back yes. here. Yep. Uh, so we will have it either. Late that night, or yes. very, very early. Yeah, we're the trying next to get morning. them up by nine a.m. Yes. the morning which after the game. Pretty well, I think people right. have been happy with that. Yeah. And so you're going to have one Sunday morning. You're going to have one Monday morning. Yes. You might have one Tuesday if we feel like there's some topics to talk about off the off day. Yeah. Uh, I'll be traveling, but once I get home, maybe I'll come over <laughs> here and we'll record yeah, something. Yeah. And then you're going to get one and Wednesday morning and Thursday. Well, I mean, Wednesday morning for sure because that'll be after Game yes. Three, right? Yep. I'm going to tell you, even if. The series is a sweep. We're going to do one. We'll have some sort <laughs> we'll do of, something kind of season morning. Sure, whatever. Right, yeah. Or we'll be previewing the next series, uh, which we'll, we're going to probably want to talk exactly. about. So all I'm saying is between now and our next free show, an awful lot of stuff is going to happen, good <laughs> or bad. And we would love to have you join us in our discussions uh, yes. of that stuff, good or bad. Uh, P-A-T-R-E-O-N. It's patreon.com slash gleeman. You get charged $1 when we yep. put out a new episode. If we don't put out a new episode on a day, you're not charged anything for it. And you also get free access as a Patreon subscriber to our entire Patreon archive, which at this point is a couple hundred yes, episodes. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Including, 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 including of, Game 1, Game 2. You want to listen to the whole Game 1 reaction, the Royce Lewis right. game, you want to hear Game 2 reaction, uh, the pickoff play, you can get down. Just join right now. You've got... 24 hours before that let's, next game. Let's to get do us it. to 5,000. Well, at the beginning was to get to 4,000 by the start of the playoffs. Right, yeah. We did that. We're yeah. almost at 4,400 now. Let's get us to 5,000. Those are also ad-free. This one was not, and that's why it was free. Uh, the, the, the free to you. Uh, game time. Thank you for the uh, being one of our sponsors. Also, Odds Are. Also, Bricksworth. Also, uh, Chomps. Meat sticks. <laughs> it's the only sound effect I know how to make. I don't know why. Uh, for 4,400 of you, plus whoever's about ready to join, we will uh, talk to you uh, uh, Sunday morning. Good Lord. Yeah. And for the rest of you, we'll talk to you next Friday. Gleaming.